0: New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartin, McCartin after midnight. Now I'll be talking all things New York sports with you till 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night if you're still out and about in the city that never sleeps, or you're working on a weekend like usual, or maybe you just watched the Mets just a few minutes ago take care of business tonight against the San Diego Padres. But if you're working on the weekend, me and Emmanuel are too, and we are coming to you live from the rebranded carton and robert studio here in lower manhattan and you guys know the number 877-337-6666 and let's load them up with your best content only please and thank you and you know what when i when i signed off last week um i said that i hope that our three playoff teams were still in the playoffs and that being the nets the knicks and the islanders and well One, unfortunately, did not make the cut. And that being the New York Knicks. It's a good song. You guys should listen to this song. If you love New York, this is such a good
1: song.
2: My favorite line's
0: coming up. Want the Yankees 99 and the Knicks on a sold-out night. So the New York Knicks are still New York, a team that was all season, one that prided itself on putting in the extra work outside the regular schedule, organized by Julius Randle, but inspired by Kobe Bryant, a team that played the best defense in the entire league, and a team that completely exceeded preseason expectations. In this playoff series, I know that they always gave you hope that they could turn it around at any point. But the fact of the matter is that the number four seeded New York Knicks simply did not show up for this first round of the playoffs against the number five seeded Atlanta Hawks. I looked through 25 different metrics from this series, and still, like we talked about last week, these two teams were as evenly matched as possible in terms of game metrics and and, and averages, which I understand is the biggest frustration from a Knicks fan's point of view. So why couldn't they win any more games than they did? The playoffs is the time for good players to step up and make a name for themselves. The biggest difference was that Trey Young's star shined brightly and the Knicks were seemingly fighting through the cloud cover to find theirs. Yes, Julius Randle was the only Knicks All-Star this season and the first Knicks All-Star since Kristaps Porzingis in the 17-18 season, by the way. But watching Julius Randle in the playoffs was hard. He was often visibly frustrated and reverting back to his old ways of just trying to do too much. But to place the blame for not getting the Knicks at a round one of the playoffs squarely only on his shoulders is entirely irresponsible and quite basic, actually. The facts are in the stats. His average rebounds per game in the playoffs was actually higher than that of his regular season average as was his free throw percentage. The biggest metric for Randall that dropped in this postseason, this playoffs versus the regular season, was his field goal percentage. And it dropped by a lot, 158 points. Sure, he wasn't taking the best shots, but he was also being guarded the closest and keyed in on the most by the Hawks. Why? Because he's the Knicks' best player. It's not a secret. Because in a league dominated by superstar pairs and trios, the Knicks really have no one else. Julius Randle was flying solo. And how about Tom Thibodeau marching out Derrick Rose in the starting lineup again and again? Isn't that the definition of, of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results? There were no different results in this scenario. Rose belonged on the bench. Also, he, he, he belonged leading the number two punch in the Knicks' arsenal. Not in the starting lineup, hoping for a miracle to return to uh, his glory days. The biggest differential in the averages in this series that I saw, I could find it was in blocks. The Hawks had an average blocks per game stat that was over double that of the Knicks. The Hawks also shot two-pointers at an 8% better clip than the Knicks. Everything else I looked at was mostly even. And that, to me, was the difference in this season, in this postseason series. When the numbers came out looking like that in a losing playoff series, that, to me, indicates exactly where a team needs to improve. This team in particular. They need another standout big. They need a knockdown shooter. And they need a facilitator to make it all go. We are not going to play fantasy GM tonight. We're go- we are not going to be throwing out names and hypotheticals, at least not until the whole NBA season is wrapped up, at least. As you know, this is a player-driven league, and there are so many stories that are still to write. For example, is Kawhi Leonard at 6'7", one inch shorter than Julius Randle, happy where he is? Why did point guard Dennis Schroeder remove from his Instagram bio point guard for the L.A. Lakers with a purple circle and a yellow circle emoji? And why did Magic Johnson tell L.A.'s 570 AM that Schroeder, I don't think he's a Laker. I don't think he brings out the winning mentality and attitude that we need. Well, to me, that sounds like he is out of L.A. this offseason. And most importantly, though, would either of those two guys consider trading palm trees and 70-degree weather to play their home games in the concrete jungle? Would they fit this team? They both certainly address the biggest differential metrics that I found from the Knicks' first-round exit. Knicks fans will have an entire offseason of exploring these hypotheticals, and I'm here for it. But really, not tonight. My thoughts while watching this series remain constant. I wondered how many players around the league, those looking for a change of scenery, are thinking they want to experience playoff basketball at the Garden. Julius Randle said after being eliminated, I think we're bringing a brand of basketball back that the city can be proud of and we have something to build on for the future. Is that true? I think so. So all things considered, is this New York Knicks season a disappointment? For me, that's a tough question to answer because I think you have to separate it into two categories, the regular season and the postseason. I think the Knicks exceeded all expectations in their regular season. I remember coming on the air. I was thinking back fairly early on during it, and I remember facetiously joking that, "Hey, look, they've won more games already than they have all last season. Good for them." And I kind of like laughed and chuckled prior to the beginning. Prior to the beginning of this season, the Knicks' win total was projected to be around. And it, again, it depends on where you looked, but they're all similar to this figure their win total was projected to be about 22 and a half games, you know, over under they won 41 and last year's team won 21. But then once the Knicks secured a playoff berth as the number four seed, no less, the expectations were reset and they were heightened on a team that in the end just wasn't quite ready to make a run. Sure. It was exciting and definitely it was disappointing. Julius Randle also in that press conference, uh, promised fans, we'll be back next year. And they just might. But about this Knicks team, basketball fans learned a few things headed into this offseason, and most notably, one playoff Tom Thibodeau could not and did not make any real lineup changes. As I just mentioned, he remained true to form, marching out the same old lineups and expecting the same different results. And I'm talking in in regards to Derrick Rose. Why? What? Did he have to lose by by making a change? And why did Alfred Payton remain nailed to the bench after he started games one and two? Those are all questions I would like the answers to. And, And number two, the basketball world learned that Julius Randle isn't the main guy. That he needs one or two studs to play alongside with him. Could it have been because he logged more minutes than any player this regular season? and I totaled it up, remember, it was three and a quarter games more than number two, which was Julius Randle, was the moment too big for him? Or was it because he had no supporting cast around him? We could ask these questions all day long. But number three, and probably most importantly, this team has developed a brand and an identity moving forward. There it is. The Brooklyn Nets took game one from the Milwaukee Bucks. Was there any doubt? Well, one of the main narratives of the entire series came to a grinding halt 42 seconds into the game. Happening simultaneously, a Nets timeout when they saw that guarding Kyrie Irving was Giannis Antetokounmpo. Surprise! But probably the bigger surprise in that very moment was James Harden limping through the tunnel with a right hamstring injury. That same hamstring that sidelined him for 21 games earlier in the season. He obviously did not return. You know how every week we talk about the Nets and their defense? Remember how I told you that the Nets would beat the Celtics if they played just good enough defense? Like, not give the superstar player a career night? Well, remember when Jason Tatum had that career night? And that was the only game that the Nets lost in that series. Honestly, I thought the Nets would actually lose game one just for the fact that they're trying to figure out how to guard both Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday. And then with Harden going down 42 seconds into the game, I really thought the Nets would take an L in game one. Because when Harden, who was a serious MVP candidate throughout most of the season anyway, when Harden plays, the Nets are 33-8. and And without them, without him, They're basically a 500 team. So in this whole scenario tonight, I was wrong. But that's a good thing. I'm okay with being wrong in this scenario, predicting a loss, and they end up winning the game. Apparently, all the minutes that the big three did not play together prepared them for this very moment. Kyrie Irving finished with 25 points, and Kevin Durant finished with 29. And they absorbed Giannis' uh, 34 points by limiting most everyone else around him. That sounds like the game plan that the Hawks had against Julius Randle. I liked what I saw from the Nets. Actually, in in my opinion, it was their most physically played game to date that I've seen. I mean, did you see Blake Griffin's effort both offensively and defensively? The guy was all over the place. He literally laid out for a loose ball. That is kind of off-brand for Nets basketball, but I do like it a lot. He, Blake Griffin, had... Almost as many three-point makes, which was four, as the entire Bucks team, which was six. Griffin was the unsung hero of the game, really, stepping up in, in James Harden's absence. I know the final score was 115 to 107, but that score was not indicative of how that game went. This game was so non-competitive that I, I wrote in my notes early on in the fourth quarter that the Nets went into control the game mode and waste the clock mode early in that fourth quarter. Down... By only two points at the conclusion of the first quarter, they led at the end of every single one after that, including the final buzzer. I mean, it was just a game of complete and total domination. Oh, yeah. The Islanders series is shipping back up to Boston, tied at 2-2. Remember last week when I told you that I'd start Verlamov in Game 1 over Sorokin? I said that he had the confidence factor and the better numbers against the Bruins? Yeah, well, Barry Trotz wasn't listening. Sorokin coughed off four goals, and the fifth was an empty netter. And the Islanders lost Game 1. And it put him in the hole right from the get-go. Verlamov in Game 2, and the series was tied 1-1. And now the Islanders entered Game 4 coming off a really devastating Game 3 loss in overtime to the Bruins. They lost... On a Brad Marchand goal that basically, based on the angle and the very tiny window that it crossed to go in, I'm kind of still trying to figure out how that goal happened. It was not a high-danger shot, and it should have been saved by Varlamov. No excuses. But you also can't score one goal and expect to win the game. Barzal and Bolivier had three wide-open chances to score in Game 3 and didn't. And I'm glad Trotz stuck with Varlama for Game 4 last night. And with that said, the Islanders were hoping for Bar- Barzell that he could build on his Game 3 performance where he scored the first playoff goal of the season for him. And in fact, in Game 4 he did. Without Brandon Carlo in the lineup for the Bruins with a probable concussion, Barzell capitalized. And he was the star of the game, Game 4 for the Islanders. In front of the entire Jets team again, by the way. He scored the go-ahead goal with 6.57 remaining in the game. Here I am thinking it's going to go into overtime. It was 2-1 Islanders, and at that point, he had totaled one goal and one assist, accounting for or being part of both of the team's goals. Barzell, who was my key player, if you remember last week, for the Islanders this entire series, has, remember the old NHL hits game? He has caught fire. The Islanders added two empty net goals to make the final score 4-1. to And yes, they are shipping up the series back to Boston, tied at 2-2. And finally, final thing of the night. Breaking Saturday afternoon around, what, 3 p.m. The MLB is set to enforce suspensions on pitchers caught using foreign substances in within the next 10 to 14 days. Overall, I think it's a good idea and it'll help try to eliminate this home run, strikeout, walk, baseball garbage that we've been watching so far this season. The pitchers are experiencing strikeout rates at a historic high, while batting average are at a historic low. This is different than the just ban the shift debate because that is a strategic move in terms of positioning players around the field. Foreign substances are outright banned in Rule 6.02C. Yes, it's been happening forever, but in the age of smart, analytics-driven baseball, only now have pitchers been able to really capitalize on it in terms of spin rate. I also have a whole nerd alert segment for you tonight to explain the science behind spin rates and their effect on a batter. That's, of course, if you want it. But the thing that I do not like about this entire thing, and would you get a load of this, Rob Manfred has done it again. He has set up a system that encourages teams to rat each other out using, wait for it, video studies, video evidence. Because of where the placement, some of these foreign substances on these pitchers are, this has taken not just sign stealing, but pitch stealing to a whole nother level. And I am not aboard with that. Tonight, we will break down the why now and the potential ramifications of the crackdown coming up. Plus, we've got to break down another lifeless Yankees loss, this time to the dreaded rival Boston Red Sox on national TV, and a Mets win in San Diego as well. And I think tonight we're going to have a surprise guest for you guys waiting uh, on the line about, I think he's coming on around 2.35 in the morning. Uh, We'll see about that. I'm not promising anything, but I think it's a go. So there's so much to do, so little time. I have set the table for you guys, and it is time to eat your 221 a.m. snacks. I can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan, After Midnight, On The Fan, in New York City. Welcome back, everybody, to McCartan, After Midnight, On The Fan, in New York City. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. i got to tell you a quick little story here. Wednesday... My Wednesday started off in my podiatrist's office for a, you know, semi-emergent procedure. Don't worry, I'm all good. Best to take care of it before it got any worse. And my Wednesday ended completely unexpectedly at Madison Square Garden. Because producer Pat sent me a text saying that he had an extra ticket in his four-pack and asked if I wanted it. Game five. Potential elimination, and my toe did feel fine. I have an excellent podiatrist that I've been seeing since I was in eighth grade. So given the circumstances, I mean, how could you turn it down? A Knicks win would have been the ideal scenario, but other than the loss, it was a pretty fun time. I had never been to a basketball playoff game before, so we're better to experience it than at the Garden? And there was an 84% capacity there that night and man oh man it looked and it felt like it was a hundred percent it felt so good to be back at it and then there were some celebrities on celebrity row um daryl strawberry got the loudest ovation a boogie with the hoodie was there michael imperioli michael imperioli who is christopher from the sopranos which by the way i've never seen yep and and so anyway so so thanks pat Although I was third choice after Geo and Big Zoo turned you down for the ticket. It's okay. I had a fun time. It was a fun time. All right, everybody. Back to the call. Uh, we'll start with the calls, actually. Justin in Deer Park, you are the leadoff caller of the night. Justin, what is up? Uh,
3: I love my leadoff, first of all.
4: <laughs> all right. Here's my question. When is it the coach's responsibility for what's calling off the Yankees? It's how bad are playing? When is it time to stop making,
0: considering
4: maybe firing, getting, moving on from a coach? Uh,
0: so, you said that's your first question, right? Yeah, that's my question. Okay. So, should I hang up and let you listen, or do you have another follow-up one there? I'll, I'll listen. Okay. All right, cool, Justin. Thanks right. for that. Thank you, Daniel. Um, yeah, that is that is the n- number one question on the top of all Yankee fans' minds right now. I know it is. It's, it has crossed my mind. But... What I'll say is the fact that this is a uh, collaborative effort among Aaron Boone, among Marcus Thames. Thames. And by the way, I have I have something on him. A uh, really intriguing uh, a thing about him. Maybe we do that in a little bit. Um, and, and Brian Cashman. This is this is an entirely collaborative effort. Therefore, there's no one that really sticks out. You know what I'm saying? So. If they fire anybody, it's going to be a clean house job. It, it would it, it would have to be. So I think for that reason, everybody's safe. But I, I know that's like maddening. That's frustrating, right? Because you keep hearing the Yankees have the talent. They're just not executing. Well, first of all, the Yankees have a fundamental flaw with the way that they're built. That's number one. True, they are also not executing. Aaron Boone can't make him hit a home run or get a base hit. I understand that. But what's most frustrating to me is we are, uh, it's Sunday, June 6th. And I'm looking at just now, just coming back from that break, I'm looking at the postgame quotes from these Yankees. You got Chad Green saying after the game tonight, I think we're, by the way, he was terrible. He says, I think we're one pitch. We're one at bat away, one big swing away. You got Jameis Santayon saying, I feel like we're close. I know people have been saying that the whole time, but I'm in there. I see the work these guys are putting in. There's a lot of care, there's a lot of passion, and these guys are, are working to get through it. I mean, I think at this point, I mean, is this a little bit delusional? The Yankees are 14 and 21. In the AL East, 14 in 21. Aaron Boone after the game says, "That's not good. If we're going to be the club we expect to be, we need to improve that and turn that around." Well, let me let me ask you: How do you plan on doing that? I think the 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 laissez faire attitude that that Aaron Boone has projected onto this team is is just downright maddening. And he was asked, "Look at this. What does Aaron Boone have to say about to, or ooh, what does Aaron Boone have to say to frustrating Yankees fans?" He says they care. I wouldn't say anything other than that's the result of fan base that matters. What? What? I just it's just. I know he tried, he got thrown out the other night. He's just. And I said it this how many weeks ago, that the team takes on, and I made the joke about my own team, but the team takes on the the, the personality of their manager, of their head coach. And this Yankee team has absolutely taken on the lame duck, we'll get there, we're the Yankees attitude that Aaron Boone has projected out there. That, I think, is the most frustrating thing out of all of it. For me, anyway. It's June 6th. When do you plan on turning it on? You're 14 in 20, what is it, 14 and 21 in the AL East? I mean, you're not even going to make the playoffs at this point in time with that. Yeah, and is it time to hit the panic button? Yeah, I'd say so. Let's go to Kevin in Yonkers. You're up on the fan, Kevin.
4: Hey, How are
2: you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. I can't believe you've never seen The Sopranos. <laughs> uh, I know. It's shocking. Put it on your list, please. <laughs> it's it's ex- excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk about the Yankees, and I'll end with that, but but your monologue was, was uh, awesome. Thank uh, you. Talking about the NBA. Now, I'm 46, and I
2: love the Knicks of the 90s and the NBA of
4: the 90s, but I lost touch with it of late because the game has changed so much, and it's you know, for me, it's just not my liking. It's uh, it, you know, it's not what it was. We're seeing the same thing in MLB. Okay, the game not what it was, and and you know, I fear that it's it, we're losing uh, the, the the youth. The, you know, which is the future in terms of it's a boring game. Uh, again, just my opinion.
2: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you,
4: you know, NBA, MLB. You know, NFL is. You know, hockey has changed the lease, and nobody cares about hockey. <laughs> you know, but maybe we should, because that, you know, seems to stay, stay truest to its uh, form. And anyway, the Yankees. Um, Boone is just a coddler, okay? he uh, He's what Cashman wanted, because Girardi was just not. Going to
2: give in and coddle Gary Sanchez specifically. I mean, that's why Gary's not here. Yeah, it's
4: over Gary Sanchez. Yep. Okay. This you know how how long do we have to give this Sanchez experiment a, a try? Yeah. It's no. Over.
0: exactly, Kevin. He, he,
4: great. He belongs, right? I mean, you I know. He, he, I'm sorry, right? he belongs at a batting cage, at a batting range, hitting five hundred foot home runs. You, you know, off a machine thrown
0: yeah no I get it Kevin and I think and at great points always of course you know but I just think that maybe Gary Sanchez it would be on the train see I wouldn't blow up the whole team at the trade deadline but what I would do is trade some of these home runner bus guys like Sanchez and get a guy that puts the ball in play um I I just think that the Yankees roster is fundamentally flawed in just the way that it's constructed they're this is the same conversation we have every single week, everybody. it is it's just it's just frustrating. it's just absolutely maddening to to see and to, and to, to, to watch and it's just boring. Like Kevin just said, it's just boring. And you guys um, one of the benefits to having this shift is that when our teams travel out to the west coast and have a late game out there, we can have a live conversation. So we're gonna hit the break really quick. Waiting in the wings is the radio and sometimes TV voice of the New York Mets, Wayne Randazzo. Stick with us. We'll be right back on the other side of this very short break.
3: Two balls and a strike on Lindor. Two out, nobody on Musgrove's pitch. Breaking ball. That's it in the air deep toward right field. Myers is back looking up, and it's gone. Home run, Francisco Lindor. He shouts as he rounds second base, pumping his fist, heading toward third. As Lindor hits a homer, his hitting streak is at eight, and the Mets have a 2-0 lead.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to McCartan After Midnight on the Fan in New York City, and we are joined just we are joined live tonight, actually, by the radio and sometimes TV play-by-play of the New York Mets. Wayne Rendazzo, Wayne Buonamattina, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it.
3: Hi, Danielle. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you? Good. Well, I guess I-, I wanted to start with DeGrom, but since that lead-in was Lindor, let's talk about it. Lindor, June batting average, 4.09. And and that's based on my calculations. But, when we talked early on in spring training And one of the most poignant things I remember you saying was that the Mets have a superstar in Francisco Lindor, and the Mets fans didn't yet realize how big of a star he'll be. Started slow, flipped a switch in June. What have you observed about him and his uptick in offensive production?
3: Well, it was just a matter of time for Francisco. He was going to start hitting. He finally has. Took maybe longer than I think anyone really expected, him included, uh, to get going offensively in a, in a meaningful way. But now he's done it. You know, he's got an eight-game hitting streak. He's hit exactly 400 over the course of those eight games. And the power's coming back, too. A home run from the left side of the plate tonight. Also had a devil in the game from the left side. So the fact that his left-handed swing is, is starting to come around is important because that's his weaker side. So it's uh, it's all very encouraging now for Lindor. And you just hope that he can get even hotter and just move in a way where He does show that superstar status.
0: And that call of yours was courtesy of CBS 880. Um, Wayne, now now DeGrom, incredible. Again, this final stat line for anybody that missed it, seven innings pitched, gave up only three hits, 11 strikeouts, a record, a Mets record-breaking strikeout, by the way, one of them, 85 pitches, 0.62 0.62 ERA this season, which is the lowest through nine starts in history. I mean, we are talking superlatives for every, almost every single category. I think it's time to have the conversation. Wayne, you're a baseball. I mean, we're, we're about the same age, but where does he rank among baseball's best?
3: Well, so far what he's done this season I, I think is is unthinkable, and it's probably the best start to a season in Major League history. Uh, Jeff Passon put out a tweet earlier comparing nine starts of this season for DeGrom compared to nine starts of Bob Gibson in 1968 and of Pedro Martinez in 2000. Those are probably the two greatest pitching seasons in, in the last 50, 60 years. And DeGrom's better numbers right now than those two had through nine starts in those two seasons. So obviously sustaining it over the course of the long haul is a little bit different, but so far what we've seen from Degrom is really unmatched in the history of the game this year. You know, he's still going to have to pitch a lot longer and, and be dominant for a longer time to really put himself in a position to be uh, a top level Hall of Fame type pitcher. And uh, you know, he's because he started so late, he's mm-hmm. going to have to do this for the next six or seven years up until he's about forty to really get into that conversation. But for what we've seen. Since two thousand eighteen, this is as as good a stretch as, as we'll ever see, and he's as good right now as any of the greats pick pick a name. He's as good as any of them right now as any of them ever have been. And I don't I don't think you could really say that this version of Jacob deGrom Grom is, is off base from any of those Hall of Famers. Siever, Gibson, Pedro, Greg Maddox, you know, you go down the line of the great, great, all time great pitchers. And right now, Jacob Degrom is as good as any of them.
0: Is it sustainable in in, in a in a, a world of mm-hmm. Carly Lloyd's of Tom Brady's playing well into you know their older ages? We'll say, but but is it sustainable? Could he do it?
3: Yeah, he's going to have to uh, figure that out as he goes along here. You know, he's thirty, about to be thirty three, I think. So he's uh, he's still in an age where. You know, some pitchers are, are really winding down. You know, he's he's older than Madison Bumgarner, mm-hmm. who is a guy who certainly had his peak in his 20s. He's older than Felix Fernandez, who, who peaked in, in his early 20s. Um, you know, he's, he's going to have to have a Curt Schilling-like second half of his career. Randy Johnson did that, too, where he pitched into his 40s and really started to peak later in his career, in his mid to late 30s. Uh, that's what DeGrom's going to have to do. You know, what we've, what we've seen here these last few seasons, it, you know, he's going to have to keep this going, not necessarily what he's done now. This could be the peak. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, what, he, what he'll have to do is kind of take what has been now seven years in the major leagues and do this for about seven more to really be a guy who's considered for Cooperstown and, and to be thought of in the way that those guys are.
0: I, Jacob Degrom is an anomaly, right? And and in this analytics baseball world, you know, pitchers managers don't want pitchers going third time through the order. But Degrom, his third time through the order, ha- has his best numbers. How do you explain that?
3: Well, I think it's just because he's he he really sets hitters up over the course of a game. You know, you look at what he does in the first time through the order. He mostly throws about eighty five percent fastballs. He doesn't even show his secondary step until the second time through the order, and then toward that third time in the order, that's when he'll start to really mix it up. He's throwing sliders and changeups, and he's using his fastball a lot less the third time through the order. So he's not showing his best stuff early on. He saves it for the second and the third time through, so those hitters are really seeing it for the first time. And that's why you see those numbers look like that the third time through the order. He threw a curveball tonight, I think, to Profar, and it was his second curveball of the year. Jeremy after the Mets pitching coach, says that DeGrom's curveball is elite, that he has uh, – if he threw it all the time, it would be one of the better curveballs in baseball. But it's his fourth-best pitch, and he doesn't need to throw it. So he's he's really sitting on what could be another blockbuster pitch for him. But because his slider and changeup and fastball do so much, he doesn't even need that curveball.
0: It's amazing. The Mets are playing for the split uh, with the the Padres later on tonight. Um, what's the feeling? Is it optimistic or we should have won the series?
3: Well, I think that it's, they're facing a really tough team. You know, the Padres are a, a great team and, and, and one of the better teams in baseball. And You know, the Mets were, uh, they have had a good game Thursday night, battled with Darvish and came up a little bit short. And then last night, you know, Blake Snell had his best start of the season and the, couldn't, the Mets offense couldn't really get going. Tonight, it was DeGrom's turn, and, and tomorrow, you know, the Mets hope to pull out a split and have Stroman on the mound and, and try to get out of there 2-2, two two, which I think would be a nice thing for them to go to San Diego. That team hasn't lost at home in over a month. So to, to go there and win two games and, and come out of there with a split, I think the Mets would, would feel really good about that.
0: We're talking live with Wayne Randazzo, play-by-play broadcaster for the New York Mets here on The Fan. The, uh, the, the Mets host the Padres at City Field later this upcoming week. What knowledge can they apply from this series to that one?
3: Well, I think that, you know, the second time facing a team in a, in a week like that, you, you kind of learn a lot about each other. I don't know that it's an advantage for for either team uh, to come back that way. I do think the Mets will be able to set their rotation a little bit better. So they could go to DeGrom, I think, on Friday and then Stroman. Saturday and then Taiwan Walker Sunday. So they could have their three best starters mm-hmm. work in that series. And just to be back home, you know, I think that this is going to be a big homestand for the Mets in the case of having as many fans as they can come back. You know, the Mets are uh, going to have up to 90% capacity at, at City Field allowed next Friday. You know, it's going to feel a lot more like City Field used to feel uh, a couple years ago. So I think that will be huge in, a, in its own right. And to have that first game back with a bigger crowd at City Field, and have Degrom on the mound, I think it's going to be a pretty electrifying atmosphere next Friday and really all weekend at City Field. And after that, the Cubs come in, so it's it's going to be a tough homestand. But I think this team is ready to to show what it can do against some of the better teams.
0: And that's something else I want to ask you. There's so many important starting brand name, if you will, Mets that are just shelved on this IL. How have they been able to stay so far ahead in the NL East and keep winning games?
2: Well,
3: it helps that the the other teams aren't winning games. You know that's that's a part of it too. You know the Mets' record is good right now. It's not great. There are five games over five hundred. Uh, you know, out of the first place teams, I, I think they've got the the worst record out of the first place teams. Uh, you know, just off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure that's true. So it's you know it's it's helped that Atlanta has struggled. The Phillies are struggling. Miami has really fallen off, and the, and the Nationals really have not gotten going at all. So that's that's a part of it, and I, I think that they've also dealt with their injuries better. You know, every team's dealing with injuries almost league-wide, mm-hmm. and I think the teams that are handling it the best are able to keep afloat, and the Mets have been able to do that, even with the kind of this cast of characters that they've brought in. And also, their pitching's been really good. They've got the second best ERA in the major leagues, only behind the Padres. And they can rely on a, a bullpen that's really helped carry them. So, uh, I think there's a lot of good things going. You know, Lugo coming back really lengthens the bullpen. They were they were able to use him in the eighth inning tonight and not even think about Miguel Castro or Trevor May or Aaron Loop or anybody else. So, mm-hmm. it, it's just another weapon that they have. And, and once they can get some of these other guys back, I think this team. Really has a, an opportunity to take off. Um,
0: we've got Wayne Randazzo on the line here live. Uh, I'm sure that you're Wayne. You're aware of the news of the imminent crackdown on the foreign substances by pitchers and position players. Uh, I guess my first question: ha- Have you yet been able to talk with any Mets pitchers or position players about it?
3: Well, you know, without being able to be in the clubhouse and all that, yeah. you know, we're we're kind of uh, you know held off to a lot of that. But you know, I think that there. Are, there's been a lot of quotes and, and a lot of players that have spoken up so far haven't heard anyone directly from the met yet but mm-hmm. you know it's it seems to be a concern around the game that there's that these pitchers are taking these substances a little bit too far and getting too much of an advantage on top of the advantages that they already have so um uh, you know i think i think a lot of what we're seeing this year would already be the case anyway with a different baseball with all these pitchers throwing so hard and then you add some illegal substances and some extra spin rates, and it becomes almost impossible to hit, which is why we've seen the batting averages be so low and so many no-hitters early on. But uh, it, you know, if it really is as big a problem as, as, as being reported, then baseball better get a handle on it right away.
0: Um, it's, it's hard to ignore that Jacob deGrom has the league-best ERA by a wide margin. Is there a, f- a feeling of trepidation that, that that he might be examined just because of that insane statistic? Say that again. So Jacob Degrom has the league best ERA by like a really wide margin. Is there sort of trepidation that he might be examined just because of that insane statistic? No, I
3: don't. I don't think so. I think that if you look at his spin rate it's virtually the same and might be a little bit more, but I, I it's mm-hmm. very slight, you know, his spin rate is not, I'll tell you who's, who's spin rate. And uh, I you don't want to implicate anybody. Cause he could have just done something to figure it out. But Joe Musgrove a pitch for the Padres tonight. His spin rates are e- enormously different from where they were a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of guy they're going to look at people who, who have taken a huge leap in spin rate, you know, Degrom's. Just whatever spin rates or whatever has come from Degrom has just been from the fact that he's throwing harder. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's the big thing for him is that his velocity has increased so much to a point where it's it's just ridiculous how hard he throws and how consistently he does it. Uh, it's the guys who are who are not throwing harder but getting higher spin rates that in, in in a way that is a lot different than how they were in the last few years. Those are the guys. You really have to look at You know, Garrett Cole's name comes up in that because, yeah. you know, when he goes he goes to Houston, all of a sudden his spin rate's a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his last start, his spin rate kind of came back down and he didn't look so good. So those are the kind of guys that are going to get a, a longer look from, from baseball with this, and, and DeGrom doesn't really qualify for that.
0: My final question is this. June fifth, two thousand 2001, 20 years ago, I guess it was yesterday at this point, the Mets selected David Wright, first round of the MLB draft. You've been with the organization for quite some time. What is your favorite David Wright experience?
3: Well, was you know, unfortunately for me, uh, I kind of came in there a little bit toward the end for David Wright. 2015 was my first year, but, you know, I do remember him fighting to come back and be a part of that pennant-winning team and the home run he hit in his first game back in Philadelphia and then uh, the home run he hit in the first World Series game at City Field; those were those were great moments that stand out. Uh, but two two kind of stand out for me personally. Uh, one was when he did make that comeback in August in Philadelphia, and I'm sure you've heard the story before. But you know, we were coming back uh, from somewhere, going to Philadelphia. We got in super late; it was like two in the morning, and we pull up to the hotel in Philadelphia and go up into the lobby, and there was David in full uniform with uh, a bunch of he had like two boxes of cookies that uh, were, were waiting for the team, and, and he was there to greet everybody in head to toe in his Mets uniform, uh, which nobody expected, and, and everybody got a kick out of. Uh, so that's one, and then two. I think after they won the, the pennant in Chicago, you, you, I talked to David and interviewed him, and you know the, the, there were a lot of young guys on that team. Cindergard was a rookie, Conforto was a rookie, DeGrom was in his second year. Um, You know, even Matt Harvey had only been around for a few years. There were a lot of young players that helped them get to that point. But the veteran players really, really wrapped their arms around. And I think David, you know, he had not even been close to that since 2006, and to get to his first World Series and have that opportunity at, toward the end of his career was very, very meaningful to him, and I think he was just kind of taking all of that in at that time, of, that he was really going, he was really experiencing this and getting a chance to go to a World Series with the Mets. You know, he's said before that anything you think about when it comes to David Wright, he would trade all of it for a World Series championship, and uh, I, I believe that he would, and it, it really meant a lot for him to go play for that world series mm-hmm. in 2015.
0: Well, Wayne, I appreciate it. I know you got to run. I know you have to call a game later tonight. So I just want to say thanks for staying up with us tonight, Wayne. I, I really, okay. really appreciate it.
3: You got it. Thanks, Danielle. Of
0: course. And that was a live check-in with the radio and sometimes TV voice of the New York Mets, Wayne Randazzo. This is just a byproduct of having the, the overnight shift and the Mets playing on the West coast. I, Absolutely love it. So, so Wayne, thank you, thank you, thank you. Cannot thank you enough for that. Pretty cool, you guys, right? Um, lots of good stuff there, of course. Uh, and, and to talk about, and there was one thing that, that, that Wayne, that, that you definitely said that I definitely wanted to, to uh, talk about was the fact that MLB, when when they originally started with this crackdown, they were looking at um, spin rates of pitchers that, that, that jumped from, like, uh, they looked at I think uh, from uh, 2015 on, you know, pitchers that whose spin rate had a significant jump. That's who they were looking at, and I kind of just picked Garrett Cole, um, just because I just kind of picked him when I did this. I looked at his career spin rates dating back to that 2015. I'm not sure why it only dated back to then. I think maybe that's kind of when Baseball Savant started tracking it, which is what I use for this. Um, you know, and I didn't calculate 2021 in here because I don't know if they've they've tabulated it. But I don't know. I, I got a couple questions because if what if the pitcher, like in this case, Garrett Cole. Just what if, hypothetically speaking, that the pitcher used these these substances his entire career? Because calculating the the twenty twenty one average against the rest of them isn't going to really change, right? So, also too, here's another question I have: What if it's a new pitch that he develops, like Lucchese? He's utilizing the curve which he made up. What's the average spin rate on that? Is there one? I mean, there's just. I don't know. There's just so many different questions that I have for this. I think this is, it's very minutia. I don't know. I think it, if it it's it, obviously it's affecting the game, right? It's obviously affecting the game. We're watching strikeout walk. That's kind of really, or home run, right? That, that's kind of what we're watching. It, it's kind of boring to watch. I'll be honest. Um, and I do have a little bit more on this. If you want me to go more into this, but, um, why why right now? Well first of all, what is a foreign substance, right? So teams in this this week, teams say pitchers are using various types of homemade glue, pelican grip, spider tech adhesive, and just maybe just high volumes of of pine tar. And um, there was a report that came out today by Buster. Uh, Buster Onley, and he said it's gotten uh, a source that he quoted said it's gotten completely absurd and it's time to clean it up. Question is, why now? Why right now? (laughs) Like why late breaking Saturday afternoon? Because there were owners meetings this past week and evidence was presented. Baseballs were presented, hats, gloves that were slathered with various substances. Pitcher strikeout rates are at an all time high. Batting averages are at an all-time low. And position players are, are the ones really kind of pushing the charge here. They're saying it's an unfair advantage to pitchers. And, and as Wayne was saying, it's a different ball. It's There's so many different ways that the advantage is slighted towards the pitcher that that now I'm saying this is just one more thing. So I, I why did this not start at the beginning of this season? I just think that the league was in sort of a, an information collection period before they made a move. Because he, the baseball has built specific foreign substance scouting reports on pitchers throughout the sport using video so far this season. Some sent in by opposing players, which I think is a dangerous line here. Because now, like, think about where, where they're putting it. They're putting it on the strings of their glove maybe a spot on their belt or um between the third and fourth fingers of the glove or underneath the hat and it's all on video. So I think we've we've gone from using video to steal a catcher's signs to using video to steal a cat or a pitcher's grip potentially on a baseball and I'm not I can't get aboard with that. So that's my biggest concern about this whole crackdown. That video, again, is going to be used in, in a scenario uh, to, to give the unfair advantage to to any team willing to, to cross the line and, and wager getting caught. Because you saw what happened with the Astros. All of those players got off scot-free. Every single one of them. And I'm talking, okay, not about the chance in the stadium. I'm talking in their wallets. It didn't matter in the fact that they still are considered World Series champions. It didn't matter. They got off scot-free. So the plan is, within the next 10 days to two weeks, enforcement is going to begin on this. And it's already a rule on the books. It's rule 6.02C. And how it's going to work is, the umpires are going to be randomly checking pitchers eight to ten times a game. So what's that? Once an inning, probably. And starting pitchers are going to be checked at least two times per start. Obviously, that's kind of factored in already with the 8 to 10 per game. And how they're going to do it, because the pace of play is obviously another issue with baseball, right? We talk about it all the time. They're going to be probably checked as they walk off the field at the conclusion of an inning or between innings, maybe coming out onto the field. I mean, come on. But position players including catchers, are also subject to, to being checked. But it just sounds like they're just going to get warnings. And I had on uh, Tanyan Sturz. Remember I had him on? He talked about all the different ways that he's seen. He said he said the, the biggest takeaway I had from his, his interview that time was Tanyan Sturz, by the way, he was on the show. Uh, he said you would be shocked at what you've seen on position players' gloves. And I really couldn't believe it, really. And then finally, before we hit the update and more of your calls, the penalties. So the penalties, the discussion has been at least centered on suspending them, pitchers, that is, I think, like I said, I think position players are just going to get off with a warning. So I guess I'll say pitchers are going to get 10 days suspension without pay. And then in that meeting earlier in the week, apparently one of the owners said, oh, well, the the MLBPA is going to have a big problem with this. They're going to probably file a grievance. And then everybody around him, the, this is a quote from the report from, from Buster. He said, the broad response around that owner was that the issue is too important to allow someone to get away with a light penalty. The quote was, the issue is too important for us right now, said one baseball executive. So we are at a um, an inflection point with with the game of baseball, everybody. With the construction of lineups, with the advantages and and the disadvantages posed to both or all the pitcher, the fielder, and the batter. And that's based on analytics and what these substances that have always been a part of the game, how they've also been enhanced with analytics. And spin rates. I mean, come on. We, no one was talking about spin rates 10 years ago. It's a new thing. So combine that knowledge w- with excessive... McCart- Welcome back in the 3 o'clock hour to McCartan After Midnight, or McCartan in the Morning, here on The Fan in New York City is sweltering hot new york city it's gonna be another hot one make sure you guys uh, drink a lot of water as i am right now um and by the way here's my little traffic report avoid the upper level of the george washington bridge by the way it is like i avoided it this week last week i did not i got stuck in it so avoid it (laughs) avoid it here's your traffic report brought to you by me anyway we are coming to you uh talking about a nets we haven't even really breached the subject of the nets Nets win in game one against the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round of the playoffs. And the, the New York Islanders send the series back up to Boston, tied 2-2. The Yankees put up a stinker on national TV. And the New York Mets, as you just heard from Wayne Randazzo, uh, they, t- they took a game from the San Diego Padres. Um, they, they They won one, and they're about to win another one later today. I'm feeling it. And what are, you know what? I'm also feeling, remember when I told you that Francisco Lindor was going to heat up? Don't worry about it. Don't panic. All right, it was a little longer than I thought it was going to be. He, he does heat up in the month of May. Batting average, Lindor. April, 189. May, 204. So far in June, based on my calculations, 409, which includes t- uh, tonight, this morning, this morning's game. Wayne Randazzo just told you, he's got an eight-game hitting streak. And in the game that ended at 1.38 a.m., he was two for five with two runs and one RBI. Three strikeouts, though, but we can kind of cross that off for now because Mets won. Door heating up everybody. Told you. I told you. I was a little late, though. I was about a month late. But whatever. Can't win them all. So everything, literally everything you want to talk about is on the table tonight for you guys. 877-337-6666. And if you can't get through, at Coach MCCARTAN on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. It is. Okay, so let's go to Vernon in Manhattan. Vernon, how'd you like the interview with Wayne Randazer? I know you hold on to it. It was great. Hi. I enjoyed you. it. And I didn't
4: even know you were going to have him on. So. You know
0: what? Me neither. It was kind of like a last-minute thing.
4: So how did you get him on?
0: So I realized that the Mets were going to be, you know, having the late game. And I was like, oh, it might end about the, about the time my shift kind of starts. So I uh, I messaged him on Twitter and he was like, yeah, sure, I can do it. And that's kind of <laughs> how it went down. So Wayne, great guy, awesome guy. We do a lot of work with the Italian American Baseball Foundation together, too. So really good guy. Oh, okay. I appreciate it. So he's, he's Italian? Mm-hmm. Oh okay oh, yeah. does he speak the language? um, yeah, I think he does i I, I don't yeah, I think he does yes,
4: oh okay <laughs> uh, well, anyway, um I have a baseball quiz question for you. This is the easiest one to give you, so oh, oh no, here's the question what is um the pitcher's number? On his back, that opened up the game today
0: for the Mets. Forty-eight, right? Degrom.
4: You got it. Come on, Vernon.
0: That was was an easy one. All right, I was nervous. (laughs) I get nervous when you say they're easy, and then they they're hard.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So when it starts off, I'm like, "Oh, (laughs) no, it's (laughs) easy." So today, I want to finish up where you had left off when we talked last week. And we talked about um, uh, the uh, person who actually uh, struck out the, the baseball, um, uh, Jackie Mitchell. Now you yeah. had mentioned about when you was pitching. Mm-hmm. What happened to you again? Could
0: you repeat that? Yeah. So the story I told last week was um, I was I played baseball with the boys. I think everybody knows that by now. Up until I had to switch to softball freshman year of high school, and it was like. Whatever, second grade, third grade baseball level. And uh, I was pitching and I was good. And I was okay. striking striking out all the boys, striking them out, striking them out. Finally, one of the dads came out and and he was like, you're not pitching. from. She's not pitching from the rubber. She's pitching in front of the rubber. And I, I mean, I guess I was because, you know, it's like, a, you know, a kid's field that wasn't filled in all the way. There was no way for me to pitch from the rubber. So I guess I wasn't. And um and he had a huge conniption about it and my my coach ended yeah. up taking me out I I guess I don't know why but I ended up coming out of that game. I was I was mowing them down Vern, and they were all coming up and striking out, <laughs> coming up and striking out, <laughs> <laughs> including his son. I think that was the final the final straw. His son's name was Mike. I think that was the final straw.
4: Well, the reason why I'm asking you this question, I want to tie in what I had thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a counselor a lot of the uh, games, and I worked with teenagers. Mm-hmm. So we usually have every year the counselors versus the teenagers in sports. Mm-hmm. So we have our regular softball game. And the thing is, all the guys, you know, only guys gonna play. They're not going to let the women play. What? So, f- yeah, that's how it felt. <laughs> so the counselors, we mixed it up with men and women. So I had um, just one woman as a pitcher, and they had the umpires there. So she says, I said, I'm going to put you in this pitching. And I said, you know, this is the easiest thing. And he hits. we'll take care of it. <laughs> so she goes, OK. <laughs> so she threw the first pitch, wham! It <laughs> hit the catcher's glove with great speed. She threw the next one, wham! It hit the catcher's glove with great speed. So the umpire came to me and said, uh, uh, "Running, you, you can't let her pitch like that. What? I said, what do you mean? This is softball. He said, so, you know how you said the father came out and complained that your foot wasn't on the mound? The umpire's complaint was, the reason why she can't pitch that fast, because if she hits a foul ball, it could hurt somebody. Oh my God. Isn't foul balls a part of the game?
0: Uh, that's what I thought. And thank you. Oh, my God. So
4: about God. Two, 10 years later, I realized he had two of his sons on the team. I couldn't believe it. Like, that was the reason why mm. he didn't want her to pitch that fast because it was showing up their sons.
0: Well, would you look at that? What a parallel story that is.
4: <laughs> and the other thing i will
0: say before I leave,
4: Willie Mays, I feel, made the greatest catch In the outfield. Remember when the ball was hit over him? He caught it like a wide receiver?
0: Yeah, those are always the hardest catches, yeah.
4: Yeah, so this one, I hope you write this down. It's called MLB Ball Girl Awesome. The reason why I mention this, you can't watch the whole thing. You have to watch it when you go home. There's a catch by the ball girl that will shock you what she did. There was a baseball hit down to the foul line in left field. She runs down the the uh, field, not looking at the baseball. Uh, she gets to the corner wall. She takes her sneakers and runs up the wall like a spider, no not way. grabbing or nothing. No way. She turns around 180, catches the ball like she's up in the air, like Michael Jordan, comes down looks at the left fielder and gives him the ball and she walks away like nothing happened you gotta see it that's the greatest catch i've ever seen and before i go like i said the title of it is called mlb ball girl awesome i hope you get a chance to see it. there's a lot of video you have to go through to find it but it's like an old film footage you'll see it
0: i found it it's uh it's let's see three minutes and six seconds in what that, can't, that is not real. That is not real. It's <laughs> yeah. like Spider Man. Yes. Yeah, oh, oh so you see it? I just watched it. What that is amazing. Yeah. The left fielder's like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> yeah. That's the greatest
4: catch <gasps> I've ever seen in my life. All right, I'm I gonna tweet this it. out, everybody.
0: You guys can all take a look. Uh, yep, I'm gonna send when it out to over fr- right now. Okay, when you freeze frame it,
4: you have to see how far she's up in the air, over the ground. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And this is my last thing I want to say. Mm-hmm. Miriam, if you're listening out there, because I know you call in sometimes about hockey, and the last time you called and spoke to Danielle, you mentioned you graduated from Long Island University. Well, that's why I graduated also. What? So we both alumni together. Look at that. So, so anyway... Daniel, you have a nice weekend, okay? You too, of the women are good as men in sports. Have a nice day.
0: Bye. <laughs> you got that right there, Vernon. Thanks for the call there. And I just tweeted it out, uh, the, the video he was talking about. You got to see it. it, it that it, That's amazing. She was like a Spider-Man climbing up the wall there. Let's go to Kevin in Camden. You're up, Kevin. What's up this week?
4: I'm good, Coach. How are you? I'm good. I want to talk about the Mets and the Knicks. I'm going to start with the Knicks first. Okay. Um, I told you last week that the Knicks probably weren't going to make it, and turns out they didn't. Right. Uh, I'm I'm sad that it didn't move on, but you know it's been a good year. Uh, you know, a year that we didn't expect. Um, so I didn't expect to go to the playoffs. Let me, let me turn
0: it on you, Kevin. Would you consider the season to be a success or a failure?
4: Success. Okay. Because the evaluators had his what twenty five wins.
0: 22 I
4: said 22 and a half so we we far exceeded that so
0: but the one thing that I would have liked to see
4: I would have liked to see melikina I would have liked to see Toppin. I like I would have loved to see those guys play more
0: quickly where was he
4: amen thank you <laughs> and that and that's the one the one thing about Thibodeau that I said I think I said it to you last week that he he doesn't he his rotations he has his guys he sticks with it and that's his problem that was his problem in Chicago mm-hmm. that's his problem in Minnesota and that is why I feel that the Knicks didn't move on because he didn't change anything up it just uh, yeah I, I could go on and on about. I mean that, I
0: guess the one big change he made was was benching Alfred Payton I think anybody with a brain would have done that it, but
4: yeah it, it should have happened after the first game but yeah I don't like I said he sticks with his guys and some of it's way too long yeah that's that's, all right that's enough Mm -hmm. about the Knicks. but the mets i don't want to hear anybody anybody rip lindor again okay Mm, okay guys heating up you said it (laughs) like about a month ago you said lindor would heat up and and again you're right on the money so (laughs) but as far as jake tonight I love watching the game tonight, but man, like I need to sleep.
0: I didn't
2: sleep
4: <laughs> anything. These ten o'clock games are brutal.
0: Yeah, they are late.
4: I I can't do that no more. Like, <laughs> I was like, I was dozing off like in the middle innings. So I I gotta try to stay up for this. Yeah, and I was I was able to, but it's really hard. So, but it was a really great game tonight and
5: great interview by Wayne Randazzo.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, he's great. So, always, every time. So
5: yeah. Yeah. Um, so, as far, but as far as tomorrow, I hope the Mets win. But, you know, they, they have to start hitting a little more. You know, I feel like they should hit. You no, know, Alonzo needs to hit a little bit more. Um, I definitely probably indoors. So just happy with the game tonight, and that's pretty much it. So thanks, Coach.
4: I always appreciate it. and I'll call him next week.
0: Yeah, of course, Kevin. Get some sleep.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Will. thanks.
0: I mean, it's the same story every time Jacob deGrom pitches, right? Jacob deGrom is dominant. And the narrative has changed a little bit that the Mets end up scoring a few runs for him nowadays. But the the guy is just dominant. It's just must-watch TV every fifth or whatever day um, that the Mets have in pitching. Absolutely dominant. And so when you look ahead to this season's NBA Finals, we are going to see something that we have not seen in 11 years. You guys want to make a guess as to what it is? Don't Google it. Maybe give me a call, 877-337-6666. I'll take more of your calls coming up on the other side of this very short break. Welcome back to McCartan in the Morning here on The Fan. Just teased it. I hope you didn't Google it. Before the break, I asked you if you wanted to guess what we're going to see for the first time in 11 years in the NBA championship, you know, series. When we get there, here's a hint. Right now, the top three best odds to win that NBA championship, the Nets at plus 170, the Jazz at plus 320, and the Bucs at plus 550. Have you caught on yet? The answer is, this is the first time since 2010, when I was a senior in college, that we will have An NBA Finals matchup between two teams that do not have a guy named Steph Curry or a guy named LeBron James on their rosters. Move over. But I do want to discuss the Lakers-Suns Game 5. LeBron's Lakers were defeated in embarrassing fashion, losing by 30 points. Yet he himself shot 47% from the field, dropped 24 points. But what a terrible show her sportsmanship from from King James. He did not shake hands with the Suns post-game. In fact, he was inside the tunnel still with 5.42 to go in the game. And then the Lakers head coach, Frank Vogel, gave a laughable explanation after the game. He said, LeBron had to start his treatment. It doesn't do him any good to sit there without getting worked on and beginning the treatment as soon as possible to help him get ready for game six. Come on, man. Don't insult my intelligence. Come on. And here's the king of excuses, James, if they were sent packing in game six. He said, we never got an opportunity to see our team at full strength this season, either because of injury or COVID or something going on with our ball club this year. We could never really fully get into a rhythm this year, and we could never really see the full potential of what we're capable of. But dude, look around. You're not the only ones. I mean... Look at what the Nets and what they overcame this year in terms of injuries and COVID and thing going on with their ball club this year. They're still playing. Enough LeBron. Goodbye. Enjoy watching the games from your couch, like all of us. Let's go to your calls. 877-337-6666. Paul in Floral Park, you're up next on The Fan.
4: How are you, Danielle? I'm good. How are you? Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, how about those Islanders, huh? Oh. Great job tonight. That was a good game. Matt Barzell yeah. finally
0: broke out of it, right? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Good to uh but But uh, his buddy Anthony Bivillier, he's got to keep uh, shooting the puck. Yeah. Because he, he seems to uh, do too much passing. But he's got to keep shooting every time he gets it. Yeah.
0: How'd you like the, the scrappiness from the team tonight? Fights oh, breaking yeah. out? Oh, you, yeah. You, you know I love the fighting out there. Yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong on that with me. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. pretty much right away, there were like three fights that went on right behind the... the you know, Yeah. I mean, I, right. I, I liked right. it. I do. It It shows a little yeah. passion. It shows yeah. a little fight.
4: Right? Typical uh, classic 70s uh, <laughs> I
0: like it. Hockey. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, listen, we're talking about regular fighting, not like... You know what's his name from the Capitals, uh, Wilson. Oh, Tom oh, Wilson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, we're the, just talking uh, about regular fighting. I like it. I think it's oh, part. of the, yeah, it's a yeah. good part The goon, the goon tactics. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. That we uh, need that. I mean, no, the Lakers, uh, bye bye. The, the LeBron James, he's so b- bush league. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Back. Paul, those are fighting words, Paul.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's why I can't stand the Lakers. God, I'm even. I mean, I mean, it's not like it was with the um, when the Magic was playing and Kareem and yeah, you know, and James Worthy and what have you. Yeah,
0: but, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The NBA certainly yeah. has changed for sure, but oh yeah, big time, big time. But uh, luckily right, for I'll... you, Barzell was in the middle of everything tonight, and your Islanders had yeah. a big win, yep. sending it back up to yeah. Boston. Here we yep. go.
6: Yep. Yep,
4: Monday's a uh, big night, I'll be watching on my, on my night off, on my weekend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will, too. Hey, Paul, right, stay then, safe yeah. out there. Okay. Thanks for the call.
4: Yeah, I love that story, your, your little league story. That's great. <laughs> All right, darling. I'll let you go. All you right. got a little college fan. Bye. All right, Tom. Thank
0: you. <laughs> um, Paul, he he's a huge Islander fan. Just another note on the Islanders, you guys. I am uh, so happy that they stuck with Varlamov. Sorokin, game one, had an 897 save percentage. <clears throat> Not good. Verlamov, game 2, 929. Game 3, 951. He's getting better with age, right? Every day, he's getting a little bit better because in game 4, he had a 966 save percentage. I expect to see him in the end goal again for game 5 Monday. By the way, Monday, 630 p.m. on NBC Sports Network, that is, by the way. Um, but where was the note I wanted to read? Oh, yeah. Barzell. I wrote tonight, Barzell has been in the middle of everything. Protecting the puck. Really fast play. Getting a little bit dirty. I like it. Checking on the back of, of I forget who it was. He was checking him, checking him, checking him. And then he got a, a low blow there. But um I like the grittiness. I like finally, I like the grittiness from, from this team here. And Palmer getting involved. Yeah, it was just it was just a good win. It was a good team win. What about, oh, yeah, this is another thing I wrote down. Pasternak, he missed a wide-open goal. Bruins, did you see that? Wide, oh, Varlamov got caught too far out. Boom, he hits, hits the 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 right pipe. The right pipe. Missed a wide-open goal. Oh, my God. But either way, the Islanders probably going to win that. I still, though, have the, as I said last week, I still have the Boston Bruins winning in six sorry that's still my prediction but we'll see what happens i like to be wrong in the scenarios but that's what i do have happening let's go to stewart in brooklyn you are up next on the fan morning coach how are you stewart how are you good
4: hold on yeah how are you today
0: i'm good how are you stewart
4: i can barely hear you
0: oh no no i hear you i hear you better good good
4: uh, the Yankees, <laughs> this is, it's getting ridiculous. Yep. I mean, the, I know. you right, All of a sudden, we're talking spin rate. All of a sudden, we're talking foreign substances. What else is this commission going to do to make the game slower? <laughs> the game is too slow.
0: Yeah.
2: It's
4: boring. It's getting to be uh, annoying.
0: It's <sighs> just, it's, it's, it's not that the game is slow, it's that the pace of play it, of the exactly. game is slow.
4: Uh, Daniel, like I said, like I'll say it again. Uh, they should tell the batter stay in the box. Mm-hmm. If you have something in your eye or you're hurt, and the trainer must come out and check you out to confirm the injury or the, the thing in your eye, tell the pitcher to pitch ball, stop this styling and profiling uh, all the time, getting out of the batter's box and, and delaying the game. You watch. If they did that, how how many How many years ago, the games were two hours and 30 minutes, two hours, 15 minutes, and it was a fast-paced game, and there was action, bumping, hitting, run, stealing bases, strategy, no shift, no run on second base, no uh, seven-inning doubleheaders. And the games, okay, some games went wrong. I remember it was uh, 1964, May, May 31st, 23-inning game, Mets and Giants. I went home in the 13th inning because I had to get up to school. <laughs> but but that's, the that's, is, that's an extra yeah.
0: inning game. I mean, come on.
4: I mean, yeah, well, Not uh, a regular my, game. my father had to go to work and I had to go to school yeah. the following day. And I was there July 9th, 1969, when my man pitched a uh, near-perfect game. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to three balls on one batter. And uh, I was eight rows back in home play. And uh, he was magnificent. And uh, you know who I'm talking about, right? Number forty-one.
0: Yeah, Seaver. Yeah, you mentioned him and, before. Yeah.
4: And uh, when he died, mm, childhood, a part of my childhood passed away because uh, I met him. I think I told you I met him once.
2: I
0: yeah, you did. I remember yeah. the story. Yes.
4: Yeah, and he such a nice man. And what they did with him, what they did to him in '77 and again in '83, horrible. And getting to the Yankees, please. Can we learn how to hit the ball? Can we learn not to strike out 15 times in a game? Can we do something? Um, Danielle, I want to tell you I would love to see them do two things. Two people.
2: Tell
4: me. <clears throat> uh Boone, Cashman. Bye-bye. Uh, Say goodnight because you want to know something. I'm not already. You know how long, how many times I have to turn Aaron Boone's post-game press conference off? <laughs>
0: No how about this? How about you just replay the one from yesterday? Because it's exactly the same thing
4: uh well Daniel well, you know it's it's getting to be we've we hit the few balls on the screws i mean i, I might as well we put that on on my phone and record it and <laughs> just after the post game just rewind it and listen to it over and over and over and Brian Cashman built this team the wrong way, mm-hmm. please, I'm not already with the home run. We don't have to see three hundred and seven home runs a year. Do we? And look, they deaden the ball too much. I mean, they, they deaden the ball 5% from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they should have done maybe 2 2%. And with this thing about the substances, are you kidding me? That's been going on for how many years? All right, let me see. Let me think back. Louis Tiant <laughs> or Gaylord Perry or or Phil Negro,
0: on Joe Negro. But, Stuart, Stuart, the problem is, though, that that now with the knowledge of the analytics and the spin rates and all that, that, the pitchers now are utilizing it. in in To a
4: major extent, beyond belief.
0: They're almost like weaponizing it is what they're
4: doing. Can I tell you something? They should be banned, okay? But one more thing, ban the shift get the shift out of baseball. Oh, if you want to do that, I think, I don't know who mentioned it, but if they want to shift, then all three people on the right side have to be on the dirt, on the dirt of the infield, not in right field, 15, about 20 feet in front of the right fielder.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I just think that, listen, the banning the shift, and Stuart, thanks for the call. There are lots, lots there that, that you know, all timely stuff for baseball. Obviously, you're a fan of the game, uh, passionate fan of the game, but, I mean, all that, in terms of the shift, I like the shift, but I I would kind of maybe then, like you said, strike the balance where you have to stay on the dirt. Because, how do I say it? If you are able to hit against the shift that they have against you, they're going to have to play you straight up. That's how it is. You're going to have to place the ball. And until hitters can get it through their minds that that's what you have to do, I don't, I just don't, I, I don't know. Cause banning the shift would then just give in to this whole mentality. And I'm still fighting the good fight of trying to fight against this whole mentality. But I could see where some people might just flip the switch and say, all right, you know, it's time. Ban the shift. I do not like seeing infielders playing on the outfield grass. I will, I will say that for sure. And this thing about, um, You know, the the sticky substances on on the baseballs and stuff. Um, Oh, here's an article that you guys had sent to me. Uh, Who sent this to me? James Hackett. There's a Sports Illustrated article from the 4th, which is what? Two days Friday. um, Inside the story of how rampant pitch doctoring in MLB is pumping pitchers up and deflating offenses. Yeah, it's kind of what we were talking about before. The physics of it and all that. Spin rates and how it's affecting that. I mean, and why doctor a baseball? Well, in cold weather situations, it generates grip. And then with a high spin rate, a a fastball, here's the physics a fastball that is below average in speed will appear faster or on a different trajectory than what is expected to the hitter with a high, uh, you know, if the pitch has a high spin rate. I'll say it again, like I do in my class a high spin rate, a fastball is below. Let me say it again, sorry. With a high spin rate, a fastball that is below at league average in speed will appear to be faster to a hitter or will appear to be on a very different trajectory. And if you've never played the game before, you know that a faster fastball increases the effectiveness of all the other off-speed pitches, even if it is a perceived faster fastball. So that's why it's there. I think, um, I think it needs to be done. I just don't know that having players rat out other players with video evidence is the way to do it, obviously for obvious reasons. Uh-huh. Houston Astros, right. But this was this was something I had prepared for on March 28th for the show on March 28th, by the way. And there by the way, there was a memo from the commissioner's office that stated this, that, that there was going to be a crackdown last spring. The commissioner's office stated it, just so everybody cleaned up their acts. Clearly, it's not working. It didn't work. So now they have to go in and really enforce it. So there you go. And I will read that article, just, you know, obviously not right now. So thank you for sending it. All right, let's go. Uh, we'll take a quick break, Emmanuel, yes? Yes? Okay, I see you guys on hold. Please hang, th- please hang there. I will get back to you right after this, this quick little break here, and what can we do after this? Let's see. Um, yeah, this is a quick one. Some of our New York football stars have been present at a few high-profile playoff games this week. Who was where, and what is the lesson that I hope it taught them? Coming right up, and obviously, more of your calls on the fans. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here, you guys, on the fan. You know, when I was at the Knicks game this week, when I was Pat Boyle's third choice for his fourth ticket, I went, though, and it was a fun time, so you guys missed out. But the first celebrity that they showed on the arena scoreboard at the Garden was Zach Wilson. He was sitting in a suite, got a humongous ovation, and later on, they showed Daniel Jones and Kyle Rudolph sitting next to each other courtside, also to a big ovation, though not as big as Wilson's. By the way, would you rather be sitting in a suite or courtside? My dad said suite. I say courtside. And then they showed Robert Sala on TV twice at the Islander game earlier in the week in, like, row 10 or whatever. How does the coach get worse seats than the players? And, of course, again, you had the entire offensive line and Zach Wilson again at the Islander game Uh Just a couple hours ago. Anyway, with all that, all of those guys are experiencing playoff energy in New York City. They're seeing, they're feeling like what it's like to win in and around this city across two professional sports. Not their own yet. But the lesson that I hope that they take from it is that they can do it too. They could be revered in these parts those cheers could be for them this winter at max capacity at MetLife Stadium, which, by the way, it will be max capacity, says the governor. I just hope that they tuck those Knicks and Islanders moments away in their memory banks to use as motivation to turn their teams, the Jets and the Giants, into prolific playoff teams sooner rather than later. 877-337-6666 is the number. Ed in Hoboken. You're up on, on the fan.
5: Danielle, love the show. How you doing?
0: I'm good. Thank you.
5: I'm going to rely on all your IQ way more than I have,
0: okay? Okay.
5: I got a fact, and I got a theory based on that fact. And my goal is to try to get beneath the
4: problem beneath all Yankee problems. You got a call about, you know, complaining about Boone, about Sanchez, about Cashman.
5: Uh, I'm relying on you to synthesize all this.
2: Okay, all
0: right, Tell me.
5: So the fact is, the dynasty team,
4: the championship team, it was put together by G. Michael. Correct. And Buck Joe Walter. Correct. You agree?
0: Yes, I agree. And then
5: Cashman came in. And his legacy so far was signing free agent pastor Prime. Giambi, Randy Johnson, Clemens, add on.
0: Well, well, uh, wait, but how about CeCe Sabathia, AJ Burnett? Those are all free agent contracts, were they not? Brought him to a World Series? Yeah,
4: you're getting a little bit heavy, but yes, yes. All right. So with that in mind, do you think the Yankees switched to Moneyball and sort of built this
5: team to that's really designed to win 162 games a year, build the seats, have everyone play their numbers to the back of their baseball card? but they have no regard to what happens in the playoffs
4: and anything that happens is just gravy
0: mm, i don't know
4: that's a really screw you to the fans
0: i don't know i mean there's nothing like playoff baseball in the bronx i mean the league kind of sort of needs it right i mean the league is better i think when the yankees are the most hated team in the league because they keep winning I don't know if, but they, no one is afraid of us.
5: No one is afraid
0: anymore. Of
5: the big bad New York Yankees. Yeah, anymore. What happened?
0: Um. Well, what happened was I, they they constructed a lineup that doesn't strike fear in anybody. That's what happened. And and, and Ed, thanks for the the deep deep thoughts here. Uh, do do I think that they gave into the money ball to to fill the seats, et cetera? Uh, no. But I do think they swung so far on the analytics pendulum that they don't know how to get themselves out of it, is what I think. And I think they tried, like in Moneyball, I saw the movie, like in Moneyball, they tried to deduce a new system, a new way to construct a lineup that is just not working. In the regular season, it was working. And now it's just not. At all. Um, I, I just they've i think they've doubled down on and cashed in on this this home run or bust mentality because when they win it's great and when they lose it's it's crash and burn it's let's make the same old excuses time in and time out let's tell everybody that we're going to get it back on track don't worry we're get, we're close we hit some hard balls they were just right at people um you know pick from any Cliche, any coaching cliche of baseball. How about, oh, uh, you know, we had a John Carlos Stanton had a a, a rocket, a 125-mile-an-hour shot off the bat. Just unfortunately was caught by the left fielder. Yeah, but he struck out the other four times. I mean, none of that is putting runs on the board. The way that this team is constructed, it's not sitting well with me. And it's it, it's being the Yankees are handcuffed by a few different variables, monetarily wise. One being John Carlos Stanton's contract, and two, how Steinbrenner's inability to or, or or unwillingness, I should say, unwillingness to go over the luxury tax threshold or the next level of it in any event. Listen, if you want to win. Right now, with the way your team is constructed, that's how you have to do it. Shake it up, go make a trade at the deadline, and then sign the guy to a long-term deal. Who am I thinking of? I don't know. Maybe a guy named Trevor Story. Or, you know, the Yankees need an outfielder. They tried to make Mike Talkman, Aaron Hicks, that abominable contract, which I hated on the record when it came through. They got John Carlos Stanton, who is a thirty-nine million dollar designated hitter, who can't even hit the ball. Four strikeouts out of five at bats. I mean, every time he get up, he gets up. He got up in 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 the game on Saturday night. I wrote it down. I mean, the situation it was like, uh, where was it? I wrote. Uh, oh, I can't find it in my notes right here. But but he got up with with a chance to put some runs on the board. And he didn't. He just didn't. <laughs> but, but the fact is, I'm sitting there like, you know what? You know he he's not gonna get it done. And he did not I'm trying to find it. Ah, I can't. Oh, here it is. Yeah, bottom of the third inning. Frazier had a nice base hit. DJ Lemayu took an outside pitch on the ground to right field. They're set up runners first and second. Two outs for Giancarlo Stanton. I wrote, okay, let's watch. Right on cue, Stanton strikes out. I mean, what are we doing here, everybody? What are we doing? Let's go to Brian in Milford, Connecticut. Brian, you're up on the fan. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you?
4: <laughs> I've been listening for a while. I'm trying to hang in there. The English. How you doing?
0: All right, Brian, what do you got for me?
7: Oh, um, <laughs>
4: I don't know. Is that, what's the uh, Islanders that the Bruins played? I didn't get an update on that. The, the fourth game four, the game number four?
0: Brian, you didn't hear anything on that. Yeah, game four. It happened tonight, Saturday night.
4: Yeah, as I say, I don't have any I don't have anything that we got we get hockey on anyway. After uh, the radio. No, they, it was
0: I, uh, it was on channel four tonight. Main t v
4: not television. Oh. Uh, Is it the Islanders win?
0: Yes, the Islanders won. They they sent it up to Boston.
4: All right. Um I knew Brooklyn was going to win, so I don't even find it even. You know, I, was, I, I, I'm glad Hard. I guess Harden's okay, but uh, you know, I knew Brooklyn was going to win. Well, we
0: don't know what's up with Harden yet. There have been no reports. He went out with a hamstring 42 seconds into the game, and that was that.
4: Okay, so um, the, they they had no problem with Milwaukee, right? 115, 107, right?
0: Yeah, they had no problem handling them.
4: And um, Atlanta play Philadelphia tomorrow, start.
0: I believe. Actually, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look on that. I'll defer yeah. to you on that one.
4: They're going to surprise Philadelphia.
0: Ah, I don't know. I, I'm beads a little banged up. I, I think it's going to be a good series. I think Philadelphia ends up winning, though.
4: How's that? Who do they have?
0: Well, I think they have the blue. It's not about who they have, really. It's that they have the blueprint on how to stop Trey Young is what they have, and they have better players than the Knicks had. So I think but the Atlanta's run the ends not- there. Young during the regular season, but it it doesn't matter the regular season, it matters what happens in the playoffs. It doesn't matter know, the playoffs don't start to, the playoffs
4: against Atlanta and Philly don't start until they start because they haven't played game one yet. There's what? a stupid rock and roll DJ I asked, did Billy play? And they said, Yeah, they played last night in Washington, so this guy's not sleep because that was two nights ago.
0: Brian, I don't I don't know what you got going on there. I think you're in a little bit of confusion here, but what I'm saying is. I think that the Hawks are done versus the seventy-sixers the because of the fact that they watched what happened when New York tried to play the, the Hawks, and they have now the blueprint on how to stop Trey Young and and or at least limit him, limit Trey Young and, and his ability to do any sort of damage. And, and they have it in in hand, and the players on the Philadelphia seventy-sixers are better. Talent wise, than those on the New York Knicks. So, with the blueprint in hand and the better players on the roster, I think that the Philadelphia 76ers are going to make, uh, I don't want to say the light work, but but they're going to take care of the Atlanta Hawks. I think that's for sure. Let's go to Mike and Blavelt. You're up next on the fan.
5: Oh, hi, Danielle. It's been a few weeks. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, good. I, I want to take back my amendment about the Yankees beating the Astros. If the, I don't know if the Yankees are getting the postseason. I'm not so sure, even. But on the Astros, we have a big nine-game road trip, as you know, and that's uh, we'll know better how we stand after that trip. You know, after that road trip.
0: Well, Mike, we said it last week. We, we looked at. I said it here last week. They, then they got swept by the the Tigers. Then they, yes. you know, they had the had the Rays and the Red Sox coming to town, and it doesn't look good. I think this was the week. This is the a- big AL East week. Yeah, I mean the Astros
5: on the road have been a different team away from away uh, away from Minute Maid. You know what I'm saying? But um, also, I want to talk about the hockey. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Islander fan. I'm not a big hockey fan, but I love the Islanders. And I think they, I think it comes down to two out of three series, but that's two out of three. Mm-hmm. And I, I can see the Islanders going to get done. How about you, Danielle?
0: Uh, I don't know. Uh, Barzell's heating up, which is a good sign. I originally said Boston Bruins in six. six and and right. I'm, I'm going to stay with that only because... I think if they win Game Five, I don't know. Game Five's in Boston. Game Six is in New York. Game Seven's in Boston again. This has been one of the best,
5: low <sighs> the best competitive hockey series. It's been low, low scoring. Yeah. It's been, it's been so evenly matched. I mean, um, it, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I just hope that the uh, we just steal one more game in Bo- in Boston. I'm praying.
0: Well, that's what's going to have to happen. The Islanders are going to have to go up to Boston on Monday and win. That's it. Steal the game, like you said, for sure. Yeah. That's what's going to have to happen. I don't know if it's going to, though. But this yeah. Matt Barzell resurgence gives me a little bit hope that it might.
5: Yeah, and I think the Bucks getting to the Bucks and the Nets. I think that that series um, is still going to go seven. I I, I, yes, I, I told me too. Uh, Jr that, and I I think it's going to still go seven. I think the Bucks have quite a talented team and. Uh, you know i mean both teams are, are you know very you know the three the matchup with the three with holiday and against the three uh you know with the three um net um you know trio's it's it's, it's going to be a a bomb burner don't you think
0: yeah i i i said i said nets in 7 as well i just think that um and and mike thanks for the call there uh i said nets in 7 mostly because um i was confused not confused but i was I'm curious is the better word to see how the Nets were going to defend Giannis Antetokounmpo. And if they were able to shut him down, how drew holiday would be able to perform. But even without James Harden, I mean, it was like a no contest. I was like shocked about how easily the Nets were able to breeze through that, that game. And again, I was watching, (laughs) I had quite the setup. I was watching the, The Yankees and the Nets on split screen on the TV. And then I had the Islanders on the NBC app on my phone. And that's how I was watching all three at once. And my laptop open taking notes on all three of them. So there's a potential that I missed a play here or there. But I think I got them all. But, and the other thing, so again, I'm going Nets in seven. I think they'll figure out, they'll drop a better blueprint, I should say, or game plan to... Attacked the Nets, knowing probably that James Harden is going to be out at least one more game. I don't think he comes back. Honestly, I don't think he comes back this series because they're going to need him. They didn't need him on Saturday nights in Saturday night's game, but they will need him as the competition gets more and more strict. Should they be moving on? So um, I think I think bold prediction here, but I think James Harden sits out at least this series. And as far as, so I'm not budging on the Nets in seven. I'm also not going to budge on the Bruins in six because I wrote this in green and italicized and bolded it. For Boston, this playoffs series, their goalie, Tuka Rask, he's six and two with 2.1 average goals against and a 9.34 save percentage. Which, those numbers, those two right there, probably the most important numbers for a goalie, right? Save percentage and goals against average. Rask's numbers are better than his career regular season average, and they're better than his career playoff average. Tuka Rask, even though he had some injury concern early on in the series, is playing out of his mind. So I say still Boston Bruins in six. Let's go to, in the order that you guys called, Steve in North Carolina. Steve, what's up? What's going on, Coach? How you doing? Good.
4: How are you? I told you if I was up, I was going to give you a call. Well, I'm here. I'm ready to kick. Let's go. Uh, I just want to say real quick before I get to the playoffs for this week, uh, from this past week, can I have three minutes of my life back? That was one of the weirdest phone calls that I've heard in my life from Brian. Come on, dude. It's 2021.
0: I know. I was trying to be really patient. I, I I Whatever. It's fine.
4: We're uh, good. You can listen to games, watch games in multiple ways this way. By the way, kudos to you for watching three games in a row. It was, yeah, you're a pro. Yeah, it was kind of, <laughs> it was
0: tough. It was. And then I, my friends are texting me, and I'm like, leave me alone. I can't answer your text message. My friends sending me books, text messages, like all oh, paragraphs. I'm like, oh, my God. All day, <laughs> all day you don't text me. Now that there's just three games going on. I got 4 I'm watching four screens, and you have to be texting me these paragraphs. <laughs> I can't. But, yeah, and I was doing that, might. too. And I was eating dinner. So I was a five-time uh, multitasker tonight. Wow.
4: Look at you. <laughs> you should get an award for that. Uh, like, that's awesome. All
0: right. What do you got but, for me tonight? Uh, NBA playoffs.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I totally agree with you on the Lakers this week when it comes to specifically game number five. Because why does LeBron James, with five minutes left to go in that fourth quarter, leave the game? Oh, like yeah. that
0: is so Steve, yeah, he had to get his treatment. He had to get his treatment. That's why. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I mean, and then game
4: six, why is Anthony Davis out there on the court when he was injured? I mean, I get it. He wanted to try to go, but dude, you just got injured the other day. I mean, I I was like, he's cooked. They're done. You know, they're done.
0: There's a point as a player where you have to really look at yourself and say, if I'm on the court am I making my team better or am I making them exactly. worse? And that is a question that Anthony Davis apparently did not ask himself.
4: Cuz that was the downfall and that was I was like yeah when it, when as soon as he was in there I was like they're they're going to attack him yeah. this is going to be bad duh. and and duh and uh tomorrow's game 7 between uh, the Clippers and the Mavericks is very interesting. I yeah. mean Ah, uh, who do you got in this game? Because I don't know who to go with in this game. It could be either one. I don't know. It's so hard to
7: predict this series.
0: I know. Who's the home team? Do you know? Uh Clippers. I'm going Clippers in. I just, I, it's uh, just, I got, yeah, I know, gotta it's, go Clippers it's, as well. It's one of those games. You know, it's one of those series. It's one of those yeah. games, and I, I, I just in those scenarios, I like to go with the home team. So Clippers, it is. Yes. Cool. Good talking to you again, Danielle. Yeah. Okay, Steve. Thanks. Cool. Uh, yeah, I just, when those close games occur, oh man, I just, I have to go with the home team. I think the home team gets the home court advantage. They, you know, like wake up in their own beds, things like that. I think all that matters. I really do. Although I do like the Mavericks. I do like Luka Doncic. And of course, Kristaps Porzingis. I know that's a little sore subject with Knicks fans, but he's a good player. But Kawhi Leonard, he's someone to watch. Is he unhappy there in, in Clipper land if, in fact, they don't advance? Is that a potential target for the Knicks? I'm not sure he's a great fit for Tom Thibodeau. I'll be honest. I don't know. But he certainly would fill a need. Uh, let's see if we can do, yeah, let's go, Terry, real quick right before the update. Terry, you're up on the fan.
6: Buona mattina, Imperatrice.
0: <laughs> Buona mattina, Terry. What's up?
6: Well, first of all, don't forget that today is the seventy-fifth, anniversary, 77th anniversary of one of the most important events in history, D-Day, oh. the invasion of Normandy on June 6, 1944. I did not realize everybody that. Should take, everybody should take a minute just to quietly reflect, remember, and be grateful to those guys. Yeah. Now, do you read the New Yorker magazine? I don't. June 7th issue, I think that's the one that's currently on the newsstands, mm-hmm. there is a profile of Rich Paul, who is LeBron James's agent.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: It is a fascinating read, and it flat out tells you, while the NBA is a business, not a sport, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Huh. I recommend that you read it and spread the gospel. And finally, I believe in the shift. And the reason I believe in the shift is these jokers have got to learn by experience mm-hmm. that they have to know how to hit the other way, how to blunt, all that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm an elderly flatulent. <laughs> I plead guilty as charged. <laughs> you stay well, Danielle. Thank you for the time. I know you're, no, you're up against the break.
0: Yeah, yeah. Terry. thanks. Appreciate it. Um, and and yeah, I I guess I didn't realize the date six six. By the way, to to kind of realign it, that's not the word I'm looking for, but but retrack it onto the sports track. There, do you know which Yankee took part in D-Day in the D-Day invasion? Terry, I probably should ask you. I'm no, I'm sure you would know the answer there. An 18 year old Yogi Berra. So there you go.
2: Danielle McCartan. Sports
8: Radio, 101.9
0: FM. The fan. W-f-a-n. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan. Everybody at 4.05 a.m. on this very hot, very beautiful, summer feeling Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. It is a Brooklyn Nets playoff weekend. It is a New York Islanders playoff weekend. And it is the, the first time I'm on the air since... The New York Knicks playoff run has come to an end, um, unfortunately. Or is it fortunate for them? If you're a Knicks fan, are you disappointed with how this season ended? Uh, for me, it's not such an easy answer. Um, I guess I would say regular season, I'd be extremely excited, and they exceeded expectations. Whereas in the playoffs, you know, once they got there, they got the four seed. You expected at least a series win, so disappointing in that sense. You got it, Islanders shipping up to Boston. The, the series is tied at 2-2. Two to two, And the Nets, I think the most surprising thing was the Nets. I, th- I mean, I was kind of surprised about how handedly they took care of the Milwaukee Bucks in round one. I mean, the final score was 115-107. It, it wasn't that close, though. I mean, I wrote down in, in the, the beginning of quarter four that the, the Nets were going in, like, you know, preserve mode, you know? Like, eat-the-clock mode. I wrote, Nets seem to be slowing the pace as they should be, and the score was one hundred three eighty-eight. I mean, come on. So I think uh, we have to see what's going on with Harden. I haven't seen any tweets. I just checked on the break here. But uh, if you guys see anything, please send it my way. My prediction is still going to be Nets in 7. Game 2 is Monday at the Barclays Center. So uh, I asked my brother. I texted him. I said, hey, you want to go to Game 2? Not that I have any, t- <laughs> we'd have to buy them, obviously. So he said, Hey, you want to go to game two? He's like, Oh, I have a busy, busy week at work. My brother's a huge, huge, huge SNET fan. And then he was like, Oh, the lower level is like 200. So he was checking. So maybe I maybe worked on him a little bit to, uh, to get to go to game two. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'll get to compare Barkley Center playoffs versus Madison Square Garden playoffs. How's that sound? But there's nothing like the barn in the playoffs. That I've never been to it, honestly, but it just looks up crazy. If you look and see what these New York Jets players are doing, oh my god. They go crazy every time the camera's on them. What is it, Feeney, right? Is that him? He goes crazy, the guy with the mullet. I mean, it's it's just insane. It looks like it's an insane time. time. And the Islanders are giving him much to cheer about. And Matt Barzell is finally breaking out. Finally breaking out of his playoff slump. And we'll see if that can continue up in Boston. Let's go back to your calls. 877-337-6666. Dave in Comac. You're up on the fan.
7: Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm an Islander fan, which you already know. Uh, And I've got cautious optimism. And I'm going to go against the Gray and say the Islanders win in game six. However... If they let it go to Game 7, my old philosophy is that you take the opportunity while it's still available. And uh, they don't win it in Game 6, I think they lose it in Game 7. And mm-hmm. the primary reason why I think they, you know, if, they do, if they don't make it to the series, that goes to 7 and they lose is because you mentioned something I've been saying all along. And that is Velama gets caught out in front, two feet out in front of the net, leaving a wide open net. And he has mm-hmm. a bad habit of doing this. He did it last year in the playoffs against Tampa Bay. He did it in a regular season, and he's doing it now also.
0: Yeah, Pasternak. And, and if anybody missed it, it was he was he was maybe, I would say three or four feet out in front of the goal. And Pasternak right. got a what was it rebound. He does right? that all
7: the time, and and yeah. I'm surprised that Trotch doesn't tell him. Listen, you got to stay in the net. Yeah. I've been saying that for a whole year already. Yeah. And uh, and uh, say, Sorokin, it's like. Monkey see, monkey do. Does the same thing because he probably sees the other guy doing it. Meanwhile, Barry Trots basically, evidently, he doesn't tell them anything.
0: Mm. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I mean, as players, it, it's hard to break habits. But I mean, you're a professional athlete. You should be able but to figure you, it you out. You know
7: who can get away with that? Kelly Rudy and Glenn Healy. But yeah. this, I, these Islanders, they can't get away with that. Yeah. They probably and the Bruins uh, and all the other teams in the NHL. They they watch the same video because it's on YouTube, mm-hmm. right? And you can see, you know, that Varley has a habit of doing that. And they get, that that's how the Islanders are going to get burned.
0: I think the power play hasn't been great for the Islanders, though. I, I think I'd be more worried about the power play than. Or,
7: or the bad penalties, especially mm. uh, Barzell. Yeah. So, but whatever. We'll see. I think if they win Game Five, there's a good chance they win the series. But if they don't don't win in Game Six. I think it's over.
0: All right. Well, this is pivotal then, Dave. You got a pivotal matchup coming up on Monday.
7: <laughs> Monday, right? That's <I, laughs> my prediction. Is they're going to win Game Five. There's no guarantee they're going to win Game Six. If it goes to seven, they're going to lose.
0: Well, I'm going. I'm going. Bruins are going to sweep the next two. Win in six. Still.
7: I hope you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Me too. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs>
7: but I suspect that if they win five. I, somehow the Islanders will find a way to get it done in six. But if you wait till seven, all bets are off. They're going to lose.
0: Well, yeah, especially game seven is in Boston. So, uh,
7: I just think the uh, the Islanders, they should have won that last game. I think not I'm, – I'm talking about the prior game, which would have been three. game three. Yeah. Yeah, you should have won that, won that game. They found a way to screw it up. That was their opportunity to win the series. And that's going to come back to haunt them unless they win
0: game six. Yeah, and I mean, Dave, Dave thanks for the call. And in that game three, um, listen, they, they lost in overtime. The game, in my opinion, should not have even gone to overtime because you got Matt Barzell had, what was it? What was Or was it between the two of them? Matt Barzell, I was watching it. They had in the last period and, and, and one chance in the overtime period. I mean, basically, fast break, oh, you know, shot on goal, they couldn't get creative enough. I mean, it, it, it was saved. It was saved by Tuco Rask, who's been absolutely playing out of his mind, better than career season, regular season averages, better than career playoff averages, um, and that's a credit to him. But when you have four chances late in the game and in, right to open the, the overtime period, that's when you had a strike. And between Matt Barzell and uh, and Bolivier, they didn't they didn't get it done. They just didn't, and they ended up losing on a goal that I'm. I i do not know how it's, it's still. I'm trying to figure out how that goal went in past Varlamov. I mean, the angle at which that went in. You got to watch it. It was if you haven't seen it. I'm. I'm confused. I'm confused. Um, but you might have to be a little bit more. Um, um, what's that word? Um, encouraged by Paul Mary and what he's doing. I wrote Palmerian front exclamation point goal off a beautiful pass. That was a one-one tie. So um, some Islanders are stepping up. I don't think you make a goal switch, a goaltender switch, if you're the Islanders. I think you stick with Varlamov in Game Five in Boston. Um, I, you know Sorokin, he's got a save percentage in Game One, eight ninety-seven. I wouldn't have stuck him there to begin with because Var- Varlamov have better has better numbers against the Bruins than Sorokin throughout this season. And you know that these teams saw each other so often throughout this season because of the way the schedule was, was set up because of COVID or whatever, and different different division alignments, blah, blah, blah. Valama was the was the choice in, in game one. And then they wouldn't be potentially playing from behind right from the outset. Let's go to Ryan in Massapequa. You're up on the fan, Ryan.
9: Hey,
1: how are you? I wanted to talk to you about uh, the Islander game tonight. Yeah. So I was at the last game and I was just like you. I'm still wondering how that goal went in the whole arena. Was just energy got sucked out. Yeah. It was pouring rain walking out. Oh, it was a must win. And they got the job done.
0: Yeah. So, so talk to me about the energy in the, in the arena. Cause I, I have not been there. So when that goal was scored, was it just disbelief? I mean, what was going on there? What were people saying to each other?
1: Oh, pe- people were really angry. There were, I'm surprised. There's a decent amount of Bruins fans there, but when Barzal scored that rap round, it gave everyone like a little bit of life. Mm-hmm. The arena just got so loud, and then it, it it just got sucked out in overtime. And I think they outplayed them in overtime. I think they all, they all shot them like eight to two, something like that. But that I, no one thought Marchand was even going to shoot the puck. I, I mean, know it, it was crazy.
0: I know it was like the fastest slap shot I ever seen in my whole entire life. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Tonight in uh, tonight's game, uh, I, Monday Monday's where- game, you mean?
1: I'm sorry, game five Monday. Yeah, game game five is Monday. Mm-hmm. I think if we take game five, we take the series.
0: Well, uh, yeah, that's that's just what we were just talking about here. Yeah, and, and thanks for the call there, Ryan. I think um, it's a pivotal game here. Obviously, it's a two-two tie. I just don't know if it's going to happen. You know, Varlamov playing in one, two, three games in a row. There's that factor. Two overtime games. There's that factor. I'm wondering, are they thinking of starting Sorokin? I hope they don't. Again, I'm still sticking with it. Boston Bruins in six. And the uh, the emergence is a good word. The emergence of Matt Barzell. I mean, versus the Penguins, he had zero goals and had one five-on-five assist in six games, which was just awful, which is obviously not, quote-unquote, him. And he comes out and, and, and accounts for one. I mean, the last two goals, I don't even like to, It wasn't a four-to-one game. I mean, the last two goals were empty netters, so it's a two-to-one game. And basically, in my mind... Barzell scores one of the two goals, and he has an assist on the other one. That was my series key player for the Islanders. So, if he can continue it, if he could score a goal or assist a goal in game five, I guess it is, five coming up next, I think they got a shot. But, I don't know. I want to ask, too, like, how many of the five goals that he that Varlamov had given up coming into Saturday night's game, how many were entirely on him? I would guess maybe not all of them. I would say maybe three of them could have been prevented by a better defense, more stringent defense. And still, again, I do not know how that goal went in in that, in that overtime game. I'm also kind of one I'm kind of surprised about how the Nets pulled this one off. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, because when you look at who was there to guard Giannis, right? It was it gonna be Jordan or Claxton or I mean Durant? I mean I don't know. And then you got Brooke Lopez pregame, obviously former NET. He's saying we're gonna own the paint, which would scare me if I were, were a Net fan, because you know, the Nets don't have the height that other teams have. And of course, you got Harden going down, Giannis guarding Irving right in the outset. You're like, what the heck? You're watching it like, what the heck just happened? But the, the the Nets settled in. They were only down by two at the end of the first quarter, and then they settled in. They opened up the biggest lead of the game right in the beginning of quarter two. And then Blake Griffin, oh my God. He got a standing ovation at one point for a hustle play on a loose ball. I mean, he looked like a shortstop diving parallel to the floor. I mean, I liked seeing that. I like seeing basketball players play like that, play with some heart. Then I think I think the very next play, he grabbed it. was an errant, errant pass to him, went out. Got it. Banked it off the glass. I mean, he, I wrote, he's all over the place. And I wrote, the Nets are playing physically for once. And a few times I wrote in my notes, the Nets have pretty good ball movement. I think that is the biggest takeaway from this game. The fact that the points were, were kind of really all evened out. I mean, uh, what Kyrie ended up with, I think, 25 off the top of my head. I think KD had 29, I think. And then he had a guy like... Uh, Uh, Blake Griffin, I think he had, what, 17 or was it 18? And then um, Joe Harris had 17 or 18. One of them had 17, one of them had 18. I mean, that is the definition of of sharing the ball, attacking from all different, you know, all all cylinders, basically, which allows the defense not to key in on any one singular player. That's why I think the Nets, I mean, despite not having James Harden, Nets are in a good position. And I can't believe I actually wrote this down too. Great defensive effort by the Nets. The Bucks, they only made 6 three-pointers. And I'm okay, it's a little bit of defense, a little bit of luck, it didn't fall in, I know, but the Bucks only made 6 three-pointers. And I wrote not selfish basketball a couple times followed by the name Kyrie. Believe it or not, especially in the fourth quarter. So the Nets, I, I listen The Nets impressed me on Saturday night. Completely impressed me. And Steve Nash was impressed by Blake Gifford, too. He said his energy and fight was outstanding. It's beautiful to see him work and persevere and get an opportunity to play extended minutes tonight. Maybe you go back to him. And a question for you guys. I should say, not go back to him in game two. Question for you guys. Do players have an obligation to speak to the media before and or after playing. The conversation has been reignited following Naomi Osaka's withdrawal from the French Open, and everyone has got an opinion on it. Let's talk about mine and yours coming right up on The Fan. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan, rolling with you till 6 a.m. when Bob Salter comes your way. I'm Danielle McCartan, Coach McCartan on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Just asked a question, and I feel like everybody's got an opinion of it. So we'll start with mine. We'll get to yours. 877-337-66 is the number. Manuel's there. Ready and willing to take your calls. So here it is. Naomi Osaka. Th- this, this is like a cyclical debate that always seems to come up. You know, I think back to Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Osaka's taking a different approach here, and she is the world's highest paid female athlete and the number two ranked tennis player in the world. She withdrew from the French open citing mental health or her own mental health. She was fined $15,000 for not participating in a mandatory post match press conference. That unfortunately for her is not how it goes. Even though she hopes that the money she was fined will be donated to charity in the area, which is great. Cool. But some leagues and some contracts require it. The NFL, right from the handbook, says players must be available to the media following every game and regularly during the practice week as required under league rules and their contract as noted above. It is not permissible for any player or any group of players to boycott the media. That's the NFL. We go to the NBA. NBA says all NBA players are required to be available for media post-game interviews. It is part of their league-wide collective bargaining player's contract with the NBA. It does not matter if you are an NBA superstar, all-star, or bench player. You must be available to be fined at an amount to be determined. I'm not sure that came exactly from the handbook, but that's the sentiment. And I, I looked for a while today, and I could not find anything from the NHL or anything from the MLB about requiring it. I couldn't find that information. But... What I did find was the Women's Tennis Association, the WTA, in a statement said, Athletes have a responsibility to speak to the media. The WTA welcomes a dialogue with Naomi and all players to discuss possible approaches that can help support athletes athlete as they manage any concerns related to mental health, blah, blah, blah. Professional athletes have a responsibility to their sport and to their fans to speak to the media surrounding their competition allowing them the opportunity to share their perspective and tell their story. And I could not have said that better myself. And I think I don't want to be moan or be mean her by saying she's a young player, but when you look at what Rafael Nadal had said, he said, I think he he obviously gets it cuz he said without the press, probably we will not be the athletes that we are today. We aren't going to have the recognition that we have around the world. Obviously, tennis is a global sport, right? And we will not be that popular, no? So, Nadal gets it. He understands the symbiotic relationship between the media and the players and the teams. But I found a caveat here. There's a New York Post article out there that alleged that Naomi Osaka, who is Japanese, allowed herself to be interviewed by a Japanese outlet, a Japanese broadcaster, that pays her for her time, access, and words. That's from the New York Post. That is an entirely different conversation. Because is it about the mental health, which I sort of understand, but you still have an obligation to fulfill, don't forget. Or is it about paying for access? Because that New York Post article made me go in a whole different direction. But... Obviously, I do wish Osaka well. I hope she gets the help that she needs in order to return to the court. The sport needs her, and likewise, she needs the sport. That is the symbiotic relationship. Also with the media, that is a symbiotic relationship. Because, like, for example, tonight, we're spinning a narrative about the Yankees and how they have you know, taken on the persona of their manager. And it's been, you know, pretty pretty laissez-faire, pretty nonchalant. Oh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to it. We're the Yankees. But if you're a player on that team, wouldn't you want to come on? Wouldn't you want to call me up and say, that's not right? And there, there becomes the narrative being changed. So Osaka has the ability to change the narrative. If it's, in fact, about her mental health, which it's a, it's a real thing. But after I read this New York Post article, she allowed herself to be interviewed by a Japanese broadcaster that pays her for her time, access, and words. That's an entirely different conversation. So you know my stance on it. And not because I'm a member of the media. It's just fans require or, or, or clamor, one, to get to know their, their players, their, their favorite players even, off the field. And two, I don't know, I just feel like sometimes things need explanations. And I know the Yankees fans are fed up right now with the explanations that their team is giving. Like, how many times do you have to hear Aaron Boone give the same exact press conference after every single loss? You know? But I just think that it it builds in a little bit of accountability, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go to your calls. 877-337-6666 is the number. And let's go to Kevin in, wow, Houston, Texas. Kevin, you're up on the fan.
4: Hi. Hey. My opinion on this is if she signed the contract, if she knew who she was getting into, and like you said, she's willing to talk to other media outlets, then why is she kind of pulling this on... The French Open, and the immediate thing I I, I think too is Zach Greinke, who mm-hmm. had his own issues,
2: mm-hmm.
4: but he he thought through it, right, right, and but at the same time, I kind of see this sympathy among the public about Britney Spears and. The media kind of ruining people, so I'm kind of I don't know. I'm mixed. I'm both
5: ways. Uh, what do, What
0: do you think? Yeah, I, Britney Spears is, is a really good point. I never thought Britney Spears would come up on here, except um, and you think of and Kevin. Thanks for calling. Think of like uh, Princess Diana, things like that. Um, they just they they never signed a contract though to have to give their opinions. They're not part of a league where they have to give their opinions pre game, post game, during game, etc. And I think my mind just went to Britney Spears shaving her head in that that barbershop that night. There's a lot of other things going on there. But let's stick to the sports. i got to tell my friend. My friend is completely—I might text her on the break. I I hope I don't wake her up, but she loves Britney Spears. So she's going to be so happy that you brought that up. But like you said, Zach Granke dealt with it. He has his own issues about dealing with the media and talking with the media. It's one of the main reasons why I think he didn't want to come to New York. But I don't know if it's fair to compare Greinke and Osaka because Greinke, sure, you know, he's, he's when he speaks in baseball, people listen, I think he plays in Houston. Osaka is on a world stage. I get it. I get it. But with anything, if you agree to do something, if it is part of your duties and responsibilities, then you have to do it. You have to honor it. You have to find a different way to do it. If she gets up there and reads statements, that could be, a, a you know, a way to, to deal with it. If she has someone prepping answers for her, here, I think they're going to ask you this. She could always say, like Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined. She could always say that. Things like that. I mean, it worked for him, didn't it? He didn't get fined, <laughs> right? So I, I just... I'm just trying to offer all kinds of different alternatives because you know what? The sport of tennis is missing its highest paid female athlete, the number two ranked tennis player in the world. And it's it's suffering. The game is suffering for a young, exciting player like Naomi Osaka. And again, it's it's part of like collective bargaining agreements. It's part of league agreements that you have to do it. Whether you like to do it or not, I'm sure most players don't like to do it. I'm sure. I've never asked the question. I don't know if that would be able to be repeated anyway, even if I did. But you just watch their body language. I was watching the other night, uh, Kevin Durant, after the game. As soon as they said, uh, you know, okay, you can go, he jumped out of the chair. You know, he jumped out. And I think Osaka once said, too, about think she said about how having to answer the same question over and over in, in different whatever in different f- ways that it's being asked I mean yeah that's part of it I guess I don't know I just, I just listen if it's part of the agreement you have to deal with it and that's it and so we'll see what happens with that listen again If it's really a mental health thing, I I, I hope that she gets the help she needs for sure. And uh, we'll see. Manu, what do you think about that? Do you think she should just, she has to honor it, no?
9: I think athletes have to speak to the media before and after games. Now, I think. People should be sympathetic to mental health and athletes having a voice and and kind of having that level of agency. I think a comparable situation, as you alluded to, is Kyrie Irving. He doesn't get a lot of benefit of the doubt in this town when he wants to go about his own ways. But I think you have to at least honor the media with a few answers, pregame, postgame, especially in the Zoom world where media aren't even allowed in locker rooms anymore. Good point. They need something.
0: Yeah. Like you were just saying, too, it doesn't need to be this long, drawn-out thing. Answer a few questions. I'm taking the three best questions given to me.
9: A cool example of this this year is Jordan Montgomery on the Yankees. I don't think he's a disrespectful guy. I don't think he means any ill will or harm. He's just very Mm soft-spoken. He gives maybe four or five-word answers to the media, and at times I'm like, what is he doing? But he's there. He takes every single question – They're just very short answers, and he doesn't (laughs) give in whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he's there, and he's doing it, and he's honoring it.
9: It's like the big cliche with Jeter. Win, lose, you stand in front of the locker room, you answer the questions. Manning, Eli. There's a classiness to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I got a tweet. I have to find it. I'm just trying to scroll through my, my mentions here. Sticking with the Yankee theme here, this tweet came from, his name is uh, at John Trombetta, and he says, I'm calling it the anti-Yankee rules. Is, they build a team around power. The MLB deadens the baseballs. They signed Garrett Cole to a $300-plus million contract, and they cracked out on spin rate. Any coincidence that his last start had the lowest spin rate of any game in the last three years? Hmm. And also, not to mention, I think uh, the most earns runs he's given up so far as well. Coincidence? I think not. Let's go to Victor in Hoboken. You're up on the fan, Victor.
4: Hey, yeah.
10: Um, you know what? It's, I, the more I think about it, the more, again, I'm, I'm a huge sports fan. Mm-hmm. And I used to, like, I love guys like Manny Ramirez and Albert Bell. Albert Bell. The reason that I bring those guys up is because they were guys that really didn't talk to the media at all, and I know that they were kind of hated in their day—not hated necessarily, um, but they weren't necessarily honored, or I think they were underrated, just because they didn't speak to the media. And the thing is that me, myself, again, I'm I'm forty years old, um, but. I feel like I, I still love those guys, even though they didn't talk to the fans. And look, I'm a Kyrie Irving guy. I'm a Nets fan, thick and thin. When they were in New Jersey, I, I went to the, to the Continental Airlines Arena. Me too. When they were given tickets away. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> I remember the days. I was, yes. Like I,
10: I'm, I'm from Hoboken again and in our local boys club. All you had to do is show up and just catch the bus <laughs> that was going to the Kenton Soares Arena, yeah. and you were going to the game. Yeah, like I'm talking about, like the Derek Coleman days, you yeah. know. Uh-huh. Like um, so yeah, I I like I I I've, I've been a fan thick and thin through the Mets days because I'm also a Mets fan, and yeah, we want it because again, I root for Kylie because he's a Jersey kid, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I I love him. I love the fact that he plays for Brooklyn. He plays for my team. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I get mad at him sometimes, but I also understand it. Like I'm like, you know what? I get it. Like these guys, they do a lot on the court and we love them on the court. And you know what? If they put their hundred percent on the court and if they just wanna like take some time off and, and, and if they just can't deal with the media, and I know you guys, not you necessarily, but just the media in general, I know we wanna know why are you taking time off? What's going on with your life? Because we, we love them so much because we're such fans. We're fanatics. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, we have to understand that they're human beings, you know, and they do a lot to just give us that product that we see. And sometimes we should just let them do their thing and just watch the game for what it is. And you know what? They If they need their time, they need their time. We're all human beings, and, and so are they, you know?
0: My one counter argument here, though, Victor, is that – Reporters have jobs to do, too, and deadlines to hit. And if, if you can't talk to an athlete, if you can't figure out, you know, why they didn't hit that shot or, or whatever, then, then it makes your job infinitesimally, whatever that word is, harder to do.
10: It what? is, you know. But the thing is, you know what I can say to that? I have a hard job, too. My job isn't always easy. Their job isn't always easy. You know, and, and some athletes are, are harder than others. Some athletes are better than others. Some are just going to talk too much, some are not going to give us anything, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's like it's hard for us to pick and choose who we want, of course. Because he's so good, if he wasn't that good, we wouldn't care what he has to say, you know. And the fact that he is so good, he chooses to say nothing, and we're not satisfied with that. We want something out of him, and maybe he just has nothing to say because, again. I want Kyrie to say something because I'm such a fan. And when he takes time off, I'm like, Kyrie, why are you not playing Like, we need you. When I say we, like, yeah, the team. as a fan base, because mm-hmm. that's how we feel when, when when we love our team. Well, Victor, here's, too, here's
0: another tangent about this, too. If, take Kyrie Irving, for example, right? If he doesn't get out there and explain what's going on, even in the most vague terms, doesn't he run the risk of having everybody write the narrative for him? I wouldn't he want does. that.
10: And and you know what? That narrative has already been written. Right. For and the thing is that, but you know what? I'm a fan. Like I told you, mm-hmm. I've been going to Nets games for years and years and years. And Kyrie, there's part of me, because maybe I'm a Jersey kid or whatever. I feel him. But I'm like, you know what, Kyrie? um, Just score points. If you think the world is flat or the earth is flat or whatever is in your head, that's fine. You know what? Just score buckets, and I'm going to love you, honestly. (laughs) Because if if he didn't score buckets, we wouldn't care if he thought the world was flat. flat. We wouldn't even ask him. You're not going to ask the guy at the end of the bench what his opinion is on the (laughs) world or politics, right? But we care so much about Kyrie. We want to know so much how he thinks. He's so intriguing to us. You know what? Let's take a step back. Let him just play basketball. Like, and, and again, it's not like I hate that whole shut up and dribble because guys talk too much, guys don't talk. It's like, what do you want? They're, they're, they're such at risk, too, of saying the wrong thing because everything is going to be diagnosed and dissected because if he doesn't say something, he's going to go against one fan base. So sometimes for them, it's like, damn, it's better off to just stay quiet and not say anything. <laughs> that no. way I don't hurt anyone. And, and like, you know,
0: yeah, no, Victor. you have
10: to also think, and we also know that Kyrie, like maybe he's not putting it out there, but it doesn't take the, a genius to know that he deals with a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those political things he takes more serious than other players. Yeah. And maybe when his career is over, he's going to go on to do great things. Maybe he's going to retire early and do something so positive. We don't know that. But you know what? When the guy is out there on the floor, he does his thing. And me, as such a diehard net fan, I want that. I, I do. I kind of want an explanation. Like, why, why why, didn't he play yesterday? What happened? And he doesn't say anything. But I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what? It's okay. Because I don't tell everyone my problems, and it's okay if you don't tell anyone your problems. I know we want to know, but you know what? At the end of the day, we want to see you win and score. Wow. And if you can continue to do that, we'll be happy. I think we'll be happy.
0: I think so too, Victor. And thanks for, thanks for the insight there. Just the final thing on that is if, if I were an athlete, I would want to set the narrative straight myself rather than, I don't know, just have someone spin the narrative for me and then have to get out and, and then correct it anyway. I would just want to get out there and just do it, say it, be part of it. And then then you could take what you want, but at least I've said it. I've put it out there and you can interpret it however you want to interpret it. But here's what I said. Instead of like, I'm not going to say anything, millions of articles get written and I'm like, oh, well, actually, here, here's what I meant. I, maybe that's just me. And you know what? How ridiculous. I already saw uh, some highlights on the, I mean, some uh, coming attractions, some previews on the TV here. How ridiculous are you if you're paying $49 later tonight to watch a boxing match with no judges and no winner if the fight goes the distance? I want you to call me up and give me one good reason why you are ordering the Mayweather-Paul fight. Or maybe one good reason why you're not. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan.
6: These guys have done good. I take my hat off to these guys. They have done good to fool the public about being some real fighters. Man, you you gonna find out Sunday, man. This is the truth.
4: This is real, man. And I ain't got to use my A game. I ain't got to use my A game,
6: my B game, my C game. I can use my Z game. <laughs> you know you got to hit him hard. Ain't got to do nothing. The result's gonna be the same.
0: That's why I keep saying all day. Those are some fighting words over there from Floyd Mayweather. Audio courtesy of the Pug and Cop Show on the Athletic. That's an Athletic podcast. Um, so listen, I like that quote from Mayweather because it really sums up what, at least I know that I'm thinking. No way. This Logan Paul dude is for real, right? I mean, how do you enter a fight with Floyd Mayweather? I don't care how old he is. With one, exactly one fight in your experience bank. And that fight was a loss. I mean, one, where do you get off challenging Floyd Mayweather to a fight if your only experience is a loss? So. I, I appeal to you, WFAN audience. Are you guys ordering the fight? Why? Is it because Chad Ocho Cinco is on the undercard? And that's true. It's an exhibition fight for Chad Ocho Cinco. Getting a little ridiculous, isn't it? And um, just so you know, there will be no ringside judges. And if the fight goes the distance, any announced decision will come from the promoters only. I mean, what kind of rules are we making up here? What are we doing here? And then, as far as Florida's boxing commission, because the flight, the flight, the fight is in Miami, Miami, Florida. If you saw earlier on Saturday, they had the, the official weigh in at the Versace Mansion. Which, if I the next time I go to Miami, I want to go to dinner. At the Versace Mansion. That is on the bucket list of things to do. I want to sit outside by the mosaic pool. Yeah, that's that's what I want to do. But they had the weigh-in at the Versace Mansion in in Miami. And Logan Paul is four weighed in at four weight classes above Floyd Mayweather. Four. It was something like 46 pounds or something. Like, what are we doing here? But anyway, the Florida Boxing Commission is going to provide... Um, a referee who can stop the fight at their discretion, or end the proceedings due to a knockout. That's it. And so there's this website called BetOnline.com, I guess. But if it's worth anything, that website they 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 comb through um a lot, a lot of 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 uh, social media posts, and they they looked at 100,000 tweets exactly, uh, tweets. Hashtags, phrases relating to the fight, if this is worth anything, there were only eight states in the country where a majority of the people were rooting for Logan Paul. And those states are South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, are we sensing a trend here, Iowa, Arkansas, and just so you guys know, I'm full discretion here, full disclosure, I actually had to use a map with the states labeled to figure out which ones they were. I mean, who could point to Iowa on a map? I don't know if anybody can. I mean, maybe you can, but I can't. So I used the map for those. And then the other ones are Michigan, Arizona, Maryland. No map needed on those. So I got a, a tweet coming in here from at jhack9974. James, he said, Coach McCartan, they would have to pay me that much to watch it period <laughs> so they so he's looking for a 49.99 Venmo payment from uh, from Floyd Mayweather maybe he can afford it though because Floyd Mayweather is expecting a 100 million dollar payout from this fight are you kidding me 100 million dollars I think that is um ridiculous <laughs> let's just put it that way and for what it's worth, I actually think this fight ends in a no decision. Because I actually really looked at this. My my students in my class, my eighth graders, they were really asking me. They were like, who do you think wins the fight? I'm like, really? All right. I, actually, they're more like Logan Paul fans, but the one kid, he wanted Floyd Mayweather. This is like after the bell rang. They're running out the door. They're like, wait, wait, wait. We have to ask you. I'm like, all right, what? So this is what I told them. I think the fight ends in a no decision. I think Mayweather, just the style of fighter that he is, he's just going to dance around Logan Paul all night long, tiring him out, but never actually landing that knockout punch or that knockout sequence of punches. You know what I'm talking about. It's Overall, it's just a stupid fight. I'm with you, James H., on Twitter. It's a stupid fight. But that $100 million purse from Mayweather, oh, my God. Win, loser draw? How could you turn the fight down? Honestly, I am wondering if they have like a little side deal, like, all right, let's just, uh, you know, like a plan, like, like wrestling, like a script to follow. But, you know, I think I mentioned this once before. I actually saw Floyd Mayweather in person at a, it wasn't a daytime one. It was a nighttime pool party in Vegas. I saw him once. It was at the Cosmopolitan. I stayed there for the first time. It was amazing. You guys know I love Vegas. Um, He was, Floyd Mayweather Mayweather was in the same section as me, but just like a few sections down from where I was, same area, but different section where I was, Um, maybe about, I would say in terms of feet, uh, I would say maybe about a hundred feet away, maybe I would say. And I I thought it was pretty cool. I I noticed him because you know how I noticed he had, he had sunglasses on at night and this big, huge gold chain. I have a picture somewhere, big, huge gold chain, black t-shirt. I'm like who is this wearing one sunglasses and it's nighttime outside and this gold chain, he's got to be some sort of somebody. And then I looked a little closer and I was like, Oh my God, that's Floyd Mayweather. But you know why I didn't realize it was him. He was much smaller than I anticipated. You know, you see these guys and you really don't know exactly how tall they are. Like I was surprised to see, I actually Googled the other night and let me just, cause I forgot what it was. I was looking at, um, I was looking at, I think it was Kyrie Irving. I was looking at Kyrie Irving. On TV, you don't really know. And I'm like, wow, he's got to be. He's tiny. He's small. He's 6'2", which is not small, but he looks like he's small. Kevin Durant being 6'10", which, I don't know, on TV, you just can't tell. Makai Becton, unless you see him in person, you can't tell how big he is, right? So, again, you can't. I mean, he's a boxer. He's buff. you You don't know how tall he is. Floyd Money Mayweather was much smaller than I anticipated him being. So I went on the internet. I checked just to be sure again, one more time before before I went on the air tonight. The internet says Floyd Mayweather is 6'8", which me with 5'3", with sneakers on, and that that night I had heels on. So, you know, what, three-inch heels? So I was about 5'6", and he was 5'8". You know, we were about the same size, honestly. And in case you're wondering, for this fight in particular, Logan Paul, he's 6'2". And because I really went into this, just in case anybody really was interested, (laughs) I I always do my research for you guys. So Logan Paul's 6'2". And at that height, he ties the tallest fighter that Mayweather has ever fought. It's a tie. Tony Pep. In nineteen ninety eight, by the way, in case you're wondering, don't Google it. Tony Pep in nineteen ninety-eight was the tallest fighter Mayweather ever fought until this this sham of a Logan Paul fight is going on. And Mayweather won that fight, by the way, by unanimous decision. So, in case you're really I don't even know if you can bet on it, honestly, because I don't think it's like I think it's just an exhibition. I don't think it's a real fight, but if you could bet on it, I would go with no decision just based on, uh, you know, my, my my research on Logan Paul and on Floyd Mayweather. Emmanuel, if you're a betting man, are you taking Logan Paul or Floyd Mayweather? No decision.
9: I'm not betting on Logan Paul. I know that for sure. Uh,
0: but he's got 40-something, 40 46 or so pounds on him, and he's got uh, eight, nine, like, what, five, six inches on him.
9: I like your no decision call because – Like you said, I trust Floyd Mayweather to just dance around and at the very least, get out of there unscathed. Right. It's what he does best.
0: Yes. Which is why people were so upset, me included, when he fought um, Conor McGregor.
9: Now, this may sound like a shocking take to hear, but (laughs) I'm surprised that someone like Floyd Mayweather is still at it and can do this effectively.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. Logan Paul's not a real fighter. Like... Effectively is a really loose term there, Emanuel.
9: Well, it showed in the fight against McGregor, who should have had no business being in the same ring as Floyd Mayweather. I mean, he didn't put up a fight, but it was competitive just because of Floyd's approach and his passive approach, per Mm -hmm. se. Yes. So I was impressed with McGregor. Now, a lot of boxing experts would say... You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, You know, McGregor never had a shot, but I was impressed because he kept it going. It was prolonged.
0: Or was it sort of, I always think of it, was it like sort of agreed upon that, all right, I'm going to give you to the round three and then I'm going to lay a smack down on you.
9: See, I like how you're thinking. I think that all of this could be premeditated completely.
0: This fight, I think, is totally fake. This particular one. Some of
9: these are completely fake and the organizations don't even dodge around it, this might be one of those where they try to make you think it's real, but it's not real. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Logan Paul, he has one fight of experience ever. And you're going against Floyd Mayweather, who's like never lost a fight basically?
9: So you think (laughs) Logan Paul, for all his audacity here, would agree to something where he knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. For a
0: multi-hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever he... I don't know what he's making off the fight, but
9: I would, certainly... Well, it's a good point. If I, had yeah, Floyd, line. Yeah, if
0: I had to dance around with Floyd Mayweather for, for 20 minutes in a ring, and I would do it.
9: Guaranteed paycheck. Yes. Makes you think.
0: Mayweather's getting $100 million. What would you do with $100 million? I was thinking about that, too. What would be the first thing I would do?
9: Wow. I don't even know where I'd start. The funniest part, by the way, of the Mayweather-McGregor banter before the fight actually happened was the bankruptcy a chance towards Mayweather because he's getting a $100 million out of this fight. Yeah. He may not even have it for that long for (laughs) all we know about his record.
0: Yeah. Well, he had some nice gold chains there at the Cosmopolitan that night.
9: Living large.
0: Seriously. I don't know. I probably would go out and get myself a nice gold chain and a Lamborghini. It
9: is cool to know... If you got $100 million, you could just live the rest of your life however you'd like. You would never be forced to do something, let's say, you didn't want to do or or have any uncertainty about what you want to do. You just live life to the fullest because you know you have that security. I think that's the best part.
0: And the guaranteed purse to take on a stupid fight.
9: Right. You could just be Paul if you want to be.
0: And people are—I I, I just— if, if you are ordering this fight, I would be. I don't know. I want to know why. If $49, I, I could do a lot better things with $49 and order this stupid fight. And Chad Ocho Cinco, come
9: on. Now, do you know if you could get any sort of black market type stream? I'm sure you could. That's know. the only way I'm watching this.
0: <laughs> I'm just, I don't even know how to do any of that. I'm afraid of getting caught, honestly. So I'll just watch for the tweets.
9: I'll probably find out from one of my friends. Hey, here's a link or something. Yeah. And then that would be the only scenario I would end up watching this fight.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm afraid of that. I got a John Ross. He's just tweeted me. He goes, who the hell is Logan Paul? Maybe I'm old. <laughs> let the let Grom fight. He generally doesn't
9: lose. See, <laughs> it's better for the sport, like you were saying, if there is some sort of competition here. If it drags out and both parties get paid.
0: I don't know. I have no idea. I just Listen, if you are really into it, I gave you the breakdown. I told you what I think, and you guys could take me for what it's worth, or you can just be like, this is a ridiculousness. And so, I don't know. So, um, okay. We are headed into our final hour here on The Fan. Uh, McCartan, in the morning, we've got a Nets playoff weekend. We've got an Islanders playoff weekend to talk about. The Knicks are done. What happens to them? Where do they go now? And the Yankees, what is up with the New York Yankees? Are Is this who they are? Or will they ever come out of this this funk that they've been in? Oh, it's just April. Oh, it's just May. And oops, all of a sudden it's June. And the Yankees are really on the outside looking in. Or I should say looking up in the standings in the AL East. And don't look now. But the New York Mets are uh, are, are really comfortably ahead in the NL East, conversely. Beating the uh, the San Diego Padres earlier i should say a couple hours ago really i, I think the game ended at 1 th- performance by none other than who who else the aforementioned jacob de gram so you your final hour to get aboard 8773376666 is the number Dang, yeah. in the final hour here of McCartan after midnight or McCartan in the morning here on The Fan in New York City. It's going to be a hot one today, everybody, so make sure that you uh, you stay hydrated here in New York City, in and around the city today. Uh, I got a, a Facebook message on my real Facebook page um, from a former co-worker, and she said, hey, nice show this morning. The fan was playing on our South Carolina Uber ride to the airport Great hearing you, and nice to know you reach us all the way in South Carolina. Well, that is pretty cool. On the actual radio, that's so cool, man. Sometimes stuff like that impresses me. You know what else impressed me? Honestly, the New York—I'm sorry—the Brooklyn Nets beating the Milwaukee Bucks. Honestly, that impressed me for a couple reasons. Um, One, because. All the narratives of this this series were challenged 42 seconds into the game. Everything came to a grinding halt when, one, you saw that Giannis kumpo with his 85-foot wingspan was set to guard or was guarding Kyrie Irving, who we just established is 6'2". Um, that was a complete mismatch. And then the, the, the Nets called a timeout, and at the same exact moment... Happening at the same exact time. You saw the camera pan to James Harden limping up through the tunnel. Never to return in the game. Went for an MRI. I'm going to quickly just check Twitter. I don't think I saw any updates on Harden. Maybe potentially would see something on the overnight. Maybe they got the results of the MRI back overnight. Um, But as I type in Harden right now, I don't see anything coming up. So we have no update on James Harden just yet. I think, you know, and, and Kevin Durant said, it 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 sucks, it sucks, you know. um, But, and then Nash said, I'm heartbroken for him. And then quickly he said, um, this guy was so ready to, excited to play tonight. You never want to see when someone gives everything that they have. Basically saying that he's not really sure if he's going to play or not. So that's kind of where I picked this up. I say... That even if he is fine enough, I say they're going to sit him for the series, honestly, unless they need him in like a game seven scenario. I just think that the Nets are in it for the long run. I think that they've played so many games this season without the three of them being together on the court that they've been prepared for this moment. And you saw it in, in Saturday night's game. Durant and Irving did what they're supposed to do, scoring, I think, 29 and 25, respectively, each of them. And then you had other guys step up. Joe Harris stepped up. And and most surprisingly, Blake Griffin, man, Blake Griffin got it done on the offensive boards. I'm on the offensive uh, side of the ball and on the defensive side of the ball. And probably to me, most impressively, was on the defensive side of the ball. The guy was hitting the floor, wrestling on the floor for loose balls. I mean, it, it, it's, it was just so refreshing to see on this Nets team that, you know all season long we you know i had everybody on from the i had frank Izola on from the yes network i had on um who else michael grady from the yes network i had on richard jefferson all all these guys all these people they're talking about you know yeah the nets defense yeah you know and then all of a sudden like a, like a light switch it just got turned up turned on during this particular game and and potentially this series and it started with Blake Griffin he was the catalyst and his offense and and, and as a player too I was always a defensive specialist that was my job right I I, I knew I couldn't score like Steph Curry you guys I told you that before but when I was really good and excelling defensively my offense picked up because of it and I think that's what you saw happen in Brooklyn earlier on Saturday night so I just think that they did a fine enough job on Giannis Antetokounmpo. But to me, the reason why I was surprised that they ended up winning that game was because because of their level of defense, right? I just didn't know how it was going to match up against a guy like Antetokounmpo or a guy like Drew Holiday. And they did fine. The Nets did fine. It's even with Harden going down. So... I'm still sticking to this being a seven-game series, even though the Nets really handed, handedly, easily handed a, a loss to the Bucks uh, Saturday night. I know the final score was 105-107, and if you, you're tuning in, maybe you didn't see the whole game, maybe you're just looking at me like, whoa, 105-107, that's kind of close. That wasn't a handed loss to them, but you know what? It was, because when you look at – I told you before, I wrote down some – obviously, I take notes during the games. And by the way, I had the Nets in – the, the Yankees on the split screen, on, on the on the TV, on the wall. And then I had the Islander game on my phone. And I had my laptop open and I was taking notes on my laptop. So I had all kinds of screens going and all that. But I wrote in the quarter four, I forgot to write down the time of it, but I wrote the Nets seem to be slowing down the pace as they should be with a one hundred three eighty eight score. And I wrote eat the clock. So that game was not as close as the score indicated which sort of kind of surprised me a little bit. And another thing that sort of kind of surprised me was I wrote a few times not selfish basketball and then followed by the name Kyrie Irving. So there was one, one – Irving deked a defender out of his shoes basically, blew by another one, took it to the hoop, and then dumped it to Brown for the slam. I mean, I wrote down the word, wow, like that. that's, that's good basketball. That's unselfish basketball and that's Kyrie Irving impressive. I I'd, I'd say. And then there was another one where he was pretty much the next play was he? he was driving down to the hoop and ended up passing it behind him for a dunk by Durant instead of taking a layup and getting potentially blocked and and whatever. So um I just think that the Nets really played a really complete game. That's kind of the adjective I would use or or I guess the noun I would use complete game. And Maybe another key word was, and especially in terms of Blake Griffin, maybe gritty. I would go gritty. I would go definite team effort. I mean, the Nets forced the Bucks into making fourteen turnovers, and only six three pointers. They the Bucks shot twenty percent from three pointers. So I just thought that, especially with Harden going down, it was they were going to run into a wall, but they did not. And the Mets. Another stellar performance from Jacob Degrom. I mean, what could you say? We had on Wayne Randazzo with a live call in after the game, which is one of the the, the perks of being on at this time because when the game ended it was at like one thirty eight in the morning. You know, we knew he was coming on, so you know we we got him on. We got him on the hotline, and he called in and gave some great insight on not only Jacob Degrom, not only Francisco Lindor, but Really, I mean, it's been 20 years to the day almost. Well, yesterday, I guess, Saturday, that uh, David Wright signed with them or, you know, with the Mets. So he gave great insight on just some some stories, behind-the-scenes stories about David Wright. So if you guys want to go back and listen to that, well, it was at like 2.35 he called in. Um, But don't do it now. We have the rest of the show to get through. And, of course, we talked about um, the MLB. And how the memo went out about Saturday around, I don't know, three or four in the afternoon, that the, the reports came out that the MLB is going to be cracking down on foreign substances. And you know what? Good. They sh- as they should be, because the game has been completely. Uh, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan, baseball lifer. The game has been boring. Strikeout, home run walk that's it really so the pitchers have such an advantage such an advantage about what's going on here so you know i think the mlb is giving them 10 to 14 days that's it clean up your act in the next 10 to 14 days then they're going to start enforcing suspensions on pitchers so i mean overall it's a good idea It's going to, you know, put a little more action back in the game, right? Because the pitchers aren't going to have so much control of of what's going on. Because pitchers are experiencing strikeout rates at a literal historic high. and batting average are at a historic low. What's the main thing here? The pine tar and all the other sticky substances that they're using. And... This is different than the let's just ban the shift debate because it's a strategic move in terms of positioning players in and around the field. That's the shift. But foreign substances have been outright banned in Rule 6.02C for for a long time. I mean, maybe forever, but definitely for a long time. And, yes, you could say, yes, it's been happening forever, yes. But the Day of Reckoning, I don't want to say it like that, but – But baseball is under a transformative juncture here because in the age of smart baseball and analytic-driven baseball, only now have pitchers and have teams been able to really capitalize in terms of spin rate. And so whereas it could have been going on in the 1970s and 80s with the pine tar and all that, they didn't have the knowledge that, that exists now, to the extent anyway that it is now, about quantifying spin rates on pitches and, and et cetera, et cetera, right? In, in case you're wondering, what does a spin rate do? What is a spin rate? Well, you know, the number of revolutions that a baseball goes through before it gets to the plate is a spin rate. And why is it important? Because, like, even if your fastball, and it was studied, even if your fastball is, like, below league average – when you increase your spin rate, and pitchers have been doing it in in, in totally um, legal ways. But the pitchers that have been doing it illegally, I'm talking about, when you have a below average fastball, the spin rate increases. To a batter, it can appear that the ball is traveling faster than it is. Or it can create different ducks and dives and ins and outs that it, it normally doesn't do. I mean, some of these pitches you're watching, it's like, well, am I watching a wiffle ball game or, or an MLB baseball game? Some of these guys, you know? So um, I think it's a good thing to, to crack down on it. And the one thing that I don't like about it, and would you get, listen, Rob Manfred had set up a system for this That basically encourages the teams to rat out each other using, wait for it, video studies. Because I I think that's a ridiculous idea. You submit video evidence of of an opposing pitcher. Well, wait a second. Where is the camera going to be focused on? We have far exceeded stealing signs. We are in an era where we're stealing um, the grips on, on a baseball of pitchers. And the feeds. right? So like, think about where, where where they would put it. Um, you've seen reports that pitchers put it between the third and fourth finger of their glove. They put it on their cap. They put it on um, the strings of their glove. All of that is hyper-focused on the, um, on the glove and on the grips and on what pitch is coming next. So that is the one part that I don't like about this whole big plan, this whole elaborate plan. But I do like the crackdown. And... There is a concern about pace of play because it's supposed to be that the umpires are supposed to be checking eight to 10 times per game, which to me works out to be probably once an inning. And and I think that in a game that's really concerned uh, 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 at a pivotal juncture about pace of play, this might not be a good thing. They say they're going to try and do it when uh when the pitchers are coming off the mound or going onto the mound, just check it real quick. Sure, but it, it is a concern. It it is, it is a concern. And don't forget, you guys, the Islanders play tonight or Saturday night, I should say, and they have shipped up to Boston. The series tied at two two, and I told you, game one, I would start Varlamov over Sorokin. And he wants me to say, "Say Manfred sucks." He just tweeted me, "Say Manfred sucks." Please, yeah, Manfred does does suck. And when I when I realized that was when he allowed all of the Houston Astros to roam freely without any sort of real punishment. That's when I realized it. That was the end of it. So yeah, Manfred sucks. And back to the Islanders. Barry Trotz was not listening to my show clearly last week because he started Sorokin and lost the game. Then you go to Varlamov in all the next couple games, and they should have all been wins. We'll put it that way because that goal, in game three in overtime, I still don't know how it went in. Still to this day. And I told you, the key, last week I told you, the key to this series was going to be Matt Barzell because he was pretty much non-existent up until this point. Game three, got a little bit going. First playoff goal of the season. And now game four, especially with Brandon Carlo out of the Bruins uh, lineup, which is a probable concussion. I don't think we're going to see him the rest of the series. Barzell capitalized. He was the star for the Islanders. He scored the go-ahead goal with 6.57 remaining in the game, and that was it. And he also assisted the other goal, by the way. And when you look at the score, to me, this final score of that game was two to one. It wasn't four to one. There were two empty net goals. So Barzell, my key player, came through. Remember when you used to play NHL Hits? I think we had it for like PlayStation One. Me and my brother. When like the player caught fire in the middle of the ice, that is Matt Barzell. Hopefully, he could take that show on the road all the way up to Boston. And we'll see. We'll see what the see what the Islanders can do. Still, I, I'm I'm not budging on the the Bruins in six prediction I made last week. I just, I'm just just sticking with it. Uh, call me testadura, thick-headed, sure. I'm just going to stick with it. And you guys, we're going to break down what the heck is wrong with the Yankees. Coming up in a few seconds here. 877-337-6666 is the number. And I'm here till 6 a.m. Daniel McCartan with you on The Fan. Welcome back to The Fan at 525 in the morning here in New York City. I'm Danielle McCartan with you till 6. Want to get aboard? 877-337-6666. Or if you can't get through, it's at Coach MCCARTAN. Lots of tweets coming through. I'm seeing them. I got you guys. I'm responding to most, if not all of them, uh, as I always do. Quickly, before we get to the call here, um, I I just wanted to bring this point up because we talked a lot tonight about the Yankees' hitting approach and their philosophical approach to hitting. Now, my next, or maybe your next logical question would be this. The hitting coach, Marcus Timms, how does that guy still have a job? And that's a logical question. And so this gets even a little bit more involved here. Because he said this week, and I'm, I, I saw it on my own. I don't know if anybody talked about it this week. But he said that he believes his players, his Yankees, are not sticking to their approaches enough at the plate in games. He said it needs to turn around. It hasn't been pretty at all. To me, that translation is, I'm telling them the right thing to do. Please don't fire me. They just aren't doing it. And then the, the other, this is the second thing, it is a quote. He said, I know people think we're just preaching hit home runs. That's not what we're preaching. We're preaching you get the ball in your zone, you hit it hard. So what are you doing then? Because that's not, clearly not that's not what's going on. So what are you doing then to make sure that they understand what they're doing is incorrect? That's your job. You're the hitting coach. That's the job I had as the everything coach of my own team. They're not understanding what you're trying to teach them. Then there's a problem with you. Because it's not just one or two of the pupils of the players. It's all of them. So maybe, I don't know, Marcus Tams, this is where I would kind of start with the team. I would make up a nice PowerPoint, or now it's on Google Slides, right? I'd make up a nice little PowerPoint and show the team that, They are in the bottom three in the league in average runs per game, in the bottom five in the league in team batting average, in the bottom three in the league in sacrifice hits per game, in the bottom three in the league in sacrifice flies per game, and they leave the fifth most runners in scoring position on base in the league. I mean, isn't that enough to change your approach? Shouldn't that be enough to change your approach And if it's not, then you're out of here. Because if I want to believe Marcus Timms, that he's doing the right thing, he's telling them the right thing, the professional players are just not doing it, then there's no room for that sort of behavior in my clubhouse. Or probably more likely is that this is what they've all subscribed to. And now, you know, it's too far gone. The train is off the tracks. And what are you going to do to fix it? So I don't know who to believe, Marcus Timms, or the fact that his entire lineup is not producing anywhere. And I almost want to say, like, Gleyber Torres, who who normally hits for average, you've seen it. We've talked about it, him really trying to load up on, on pitches. Is he being told to do that, or is he taking it upon himself to do that? That's what we have to get to the bottom of. That's what I would ask. But the fact of the matter is, the Yankees' offense is stagnant. It's pitiful. It's brutal. It's one of the worst in the league. The Yankees. My God. But the problem is the construction. We talk about it week in and week out. I hope the Yankees make some real moves at the, at the, at the deadline. All right, any order that you guys called... Maury in Belmore, you're up on the Fed.
4: Hey, Coach. Good morning. What great insight you just provided. I think you can't blame Tim's. I think Tim's can only preach what, what the process would be. It's on Boone. It's on It's on others in the organization. I, I think of the Walter Matthau and News Gaz, where he starts off with assume, A-S-S-U-M, hey, and, and he goes through that whole process. You know, if you don't do this right, it'll make an ass, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. There's something broken within the organization and what you said is so spot on that, you know, they're not listening. You heard that. Not too many people talked about that. How critical of that is you could teach them and talk to them about it. Something is wrong. I, I think grit, gut, heart I don't know, you're a coach, don't you see it? I don't, I can't even watch
0: the team anymore. You know the word it's, I would use? I would use the word painful. Apathy is the word I would use. Oh, that's Apathetic. A great word. Yes, yes. I mean, almost, I was thinking lethargic.
4: Yeah, I that's mean, a good I, one too. As, 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 as I get ready to go visit G.O.D. In, in about a half hour, I always try and think about, like, you, you go through life and you try and learn your lessons. I feel like that. that that's being crazy, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. That's what I see. Swinging at outside pitches, not, you know, to uppercuts versus not, I mean, running around the base of Sanchez. And the data doesn't lie. Everything that you said last, first, fifth, first, all those negative uh, num- numbers that you provided, yeah. add that up at the end of the year. That team should be uh, below 500 because you can't continue sus- to sus- sustain uh, or try and win at this rate. And why can't we have a Jacob DeGrom? You know, even Cole, Cole's not a Jacob. This
0: guy, De- DeGrom is well, just incredible. come on. No one has a Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom is, we're watching oh, history every time the guy takes the mound. The guy is just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it.
4: And it's not like he's going up there and he's throwing it five, you know, 150. He just points it and wherever it goes. He reminds me of the guy from the Braves. My, um, oh, come on. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame. He was a killer. Maddox. He reminds me of Maddox. How he was able, like a surgeon, yep. to pick a corner yep. at any point in the game and make the batters look foolish. Yep. Anyway, Coach, I so enjoy you every week. I, I love it. Thank you so much. Keep it up. And listen, I think I've been to that Versace mansion. It, it, it's it's pretty
0: pretty sweet. Yeah. Oh, I got to get to it. Did you eat there or did you stay there?
4: <laughs> I know we had dinner there. We had dinner there, and then we we went right next to the Cleveland there. Not too far. Yeah, down I've the been block, to the
0: Cleveland there. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With which the pool
4: becomes, in the middle. Which, which becomes absurd before
0: I am, um, yes. Yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> All right, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Um, and, 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 yes, and as I sit here right now, I just pulled up as he was talking the AL East standings. The Yankees are only above one team, and that team is called the Baltimore Orioles. They are behind the Rays. They are behind the Red Sox, and they are behind now the Blue Jays as well. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. And I don't know. There just seems to be a disconnect. And it's on the coach to figure out how to reach that and how to bridge that disconnection. Because right now it is what it is, and But Garrett Cole is the second best pitcher in the league, okay? Nobody is Jacob DeGrom. Let's put that out there. We are witnessing. It's must-watch TV. I don't care if you root for the whatever team you root for. When Jacob DeGrom is on the mound, it's must-watch TV. We are witnessing history. He's going to go down as one of the best pitchers the game has ever seen. And Wayne Randazzo, before, he told you that Jacob DeGrom is so good, and surgical is a good word because that's what I think of too when I watch him. Wayne Randazzo told you this, that the first time – because Jacob DeGrom's best numbers come the third time through the order. And I asked him why. Because he doesn't reveal everything – until the third time through the order. Then he's throwing everything at you. So that's what you need. You're so dominant with your other pictures that you can introduce new ones and new sequences the third time through. That's why the guy is so dominant. Let's go to Ben in Queens. You're up on the fan, Ben.
4: Morning, Coach. Let's face it, right? What you just said right there. Third time through the order. Mm-hmm. All right? He is one of the few, if not the only pitcher right now you could say that about, because he knows how to get through the, the order the first two times to have a third time, you know- where, where his pitching count isn't, oh, 100 per four or two innings. Yeah, you know, so 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 that's one of the reasons I give it up for the ground. Ben, and, let me let
0: me let me stop you right there because I had I wanted to bring something up and I just as you were talking, I was like I had to find it. So the third time through the order thing, right? Mm-hmm. Michael King Friday night, and this is on Aaron Boone and whatever the computer spit out that night. But Michael King becomes the ninety fifth pitcher to pitch an immaculate inning in all of baseball history on Friday night. Right? He follows up with three outs in the next inning, top of the fifth, three outs on four pitches. Top of the sixth, he gets Martinez to pop out, Bogart's singles, and then he was yanked out of the game. He had 66 pitches, and he was yanked. Litke comes in and then gives up a two-run double. All of a sudden, it's 5 nothing. 5 nothing Red Sox. Why wasn't he allowed to pitch any farther into the game, Michael right. King? Right,
4: Right there, right there, I went. This may be a lost weekend. Yep. That, that, that felt like the, the Debbie move in the playoffs. Like, why even start him? Right. What, what, what you doing? Uh, quickly, um, Islanders first. You know, Barzell says a lot of stuff, but he needs to perform on the ice. And sure enough, Webb, that, that that second and third periods last night was yeah. inspired by him. Yep. That, that was the player that caused the, the Rangers' fits all year. Yep. All right? So that, that when we say the, uh, he's dangerous, he, he's, he's got, like, like freaking... Grit. He's got
2: grit,
0: that guy.
4: He plays with grit. That's the dude we've been waiting to show up. Yeah. As far as the Nets are concerned, what you're seeing here, all right, what you're seeing is, is an immense amount of talent, but you got to give the front office a whole bunch of credit. Not for the big three. How different would the Knicks season look if we had that Adams kid? You know? Mm. How different would we... You know, I nearly called him Speedy Claxton again. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know? But but yeah. you let that Claxton kid get minutes to run with, 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 with the first team. Yeah. You know? And he just flipped right in and he's running and getting good minutes. Like, you know what? Kid's doing fine. I, 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 I saw that. I'm thinking, like, OB, you know, if they just let you run. you know. Yeah, and quickly,
0: but, quickly. I've been saying this guy's name all season. They never gave him real, real, real chunk of minutes.
4: And and, and, and I, I, I was one of the guys critical about Nash, but Nash was right. We're going to tempo, pace, 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 pace. And I'm, I'm looking at the TNT like, pace? Pace, and then the next three possessions: turnover, turnover, turnover. Three, two, foul line. And I'm like, pace. They're, they're forcing the books to turn the ball up right back to them. <laughs>
0: Fourteen times them. last night.
4: You know, so so you know it? All all the credit to the Nets with this. I expect, like you, I expect Nets in seven. Uh, I I thought they would split these first two games. Uh, important thing is to see that 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 Harden report, you know, don't yeah. it, it, not like a twin a twinge, not not a major major injury. And finally, I'll leave off on this. Uh, Liberty Liberty's been struggling. I know I saw. Um, I, 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 Sabrina's hit that point where now she can't rely on the three. She's got to start driving. Um, but at the same time, I think the league is caught up to that, that pick at the front yes, of the key.
0: I was going to say but, that. Yep. The so, video's out on her.
4: Oh, oh, the, 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 what the Mystics did was just open up the playbook and, and the Aces went to school. because I could see the second player coming now. You know, like, okay, they're starting to pick. All right. Yep. All right. All right. She's going to cut left. All right. We got it. We got Yep. Like, like, now it's on them to make the, the necessary changes. Coach, next week. Thank you for the time. Of
0: course, Ben. Yeah, the, the Liberty. You know when, like, when when Daniel Jones made his debut and he lit it up, right? In Tampa, right? I guess it was. And then all of a sudden the film was out on him and then the league caught up to him. Like Aaron Judge, same thing. Same thing's happening with Sabrina Inescu. She's a star. But the other teams, the film is out on her. The blueprint is out on her and how to stop her. And um, the Liberty have to go back to the drawing board at that point. Um, let's see. Can we do one more? All right, let's do one more. Bob in Syosset. Hey, you know Sue Bird is from Syosset, Bob? I'm I'm sorry, Danielle? Do you know Sue Bird is from Syosset?
11: (laughs) Yeah, I, I... No, some, I don't know Sue Bird, but she went to Seattle High School over here, and uh, there's been a few players. Newman from Miami, he came out of Siasa mm-hmm. a long time ago. He was a lineman for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Seattle's had a few uh, players, I guess, but Sue Bird's probably the most uh, famous of, of them all. One of the uh, best to ever play. Where, where is she? Where is she at? She's on the West Coast, yes. uh, coaching, or still playing? Or no, she's she doing, still right? she's
0: still playing. Seattle, Seattle Storm.
11: Okay, all right. So there you go. So I followed it a little bit. That I knew, you know, that I knew that much. Yeah, a little yeah. Bit of it. yeah. All <laughs> right. What do you got for me
0: tonight, Bob? Or today? I should uh, say. Well,
11: um, you guys, you brought up so many more situations. I'll, uh, what I've been doing lately is when I read the box scores, I like to see how many double-digit strikeouts there are every game yep. each night. You know, there, and there's an enormous amount. And then, then you have, uh, there was one weekend that a lot of guys, there was a lot of nines, but not too many double digits. But now you have 15, 16, 17 strikeouts a game sometimes. So yep. they've created with these pitchers and everything, like a lot of Sandy Koufaxes and Bob Gibson's out there, but it's not one guy doing it, it's three or four guys doing it. A lot of bullpen guys come in and they strike out the two. But, I don't know. It's all been for the pitcher. They baby the pitchers. I can see the hundred pitches and take them out of there. I can see that. this is what they want to do. Plus, if they're going to carry thirteen or fourteen pitchers,
0: they need to use the bullpen. Right. So especially, and especially coming off the, the right, and especially coming off the short season last year too. The, what it was sixty games. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I agree with that in this particular season. Sure. In this particular season.
11: So I don't know how to. Well you're like you're an offensive coach. I you could I wonder if you could even think about ways, because softball pitches also come in really quick. But but as far as um like Bauer has always talked about the spin rate, they've improved. I don't remember de Grom throwing hundred miles an hour consistently till till this year.
0: Well, you know so what too, how I, I be- did they improve. Yeah. Like okay, yeah. And that's a good question there, Bob. I don't know specific oh, you know what? I had this somewhere. Jacob DeGrom and what he did and how he improved um I had this uh, five starts this year. He uh, throws harder than any other starting pitcher in baseball. This is all my notes here. Fastball averages 98.9 miles an hour. The average pitcher lost two miles an hour on his fastball from the age of 26 to 32. DeGrom gained more than four miles an hour in that same span. Um, I think it could be because he didn't start pitching until junior year of college. Saved his arm for a little bit. But there's a few other things. Release point consistency. I can go really nerdy or not. You guys, you can tell me which level here you want, but he's got more release point consistency. Uh, He's using analytics and his arm slot. This is probably the most important thing. His arm slot is now three and a half inches lower than it was when he entered the league. He's using his body, lower body in a more efficient way. Um, Dave Island said he pays attention to every single throw. Every time you throw it, there's a meaning or purpose behind it. And that's what something young players should understand. And so, and there's like little to no or zero de- deviation from where he releases the ball. So, that also doesn't give the hitter any clues about where the, it's going to come out of his hand. So, that's how Jacob deGrom has improved. I was I was sitting on that since for a while now. Someone brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. And the other thing is that they're also measuring where the pitch speed Instead of where it crosses the plate, when it leaves the hand now. That's where the radar gun is tracking. So that could add a couple more miles an hour to it too. So hope that answers the question. We're going to hit a quick, quick, quick break. If you guys want to get aboard, it'll be your last chance. 877-337-6666. And if you're on hold, I promise I will get to you. Welcome back. In the final closing minutes here on McCartan in the morning here on The Fan in New York City on this Sunday, June 6th, Playoff weekend for for some of our teams here in New York, but one didn't make the cut. The New York Knicks did not make the cut. And my question earlier in the night, and a theme we've woven in throughout the night, is if you're a Knicks fan, is this season a disappointment? And for me, that's not an easy question to answer because for the simple fact of this, and then we'll get to your calls, 877-337-6666. There is one line open and it has your name on it. Um I think you really have to separate out this next season into regular season versus playoffs. Regular season, they were projected at the beginning of the season to win uh, like 22 and a half games. Coming off a season where they won only 21 games. They won 41. They made the playoffs. Not only make the playoffs, they didn't have the playing game. They were the fourth seed in the playoffs. Was it a little generous? I think it was, but that's a conversation for another day. The Knicks, in the regular season, completely 100% exceeded expectations. I don't know if you could find anybody that would disagree with that. In the playoffs, I think once they got to the playoffs and, and Knicks fans were like, wow, they made it. They made it to the playoffs. Now let's go win a series. And that series was winnable. Except for the fact that they didn't have the talent needed to to shut down Trey Young. And Julius Randle went missing. We'll put it that way. But you can't only blame it on him. The guy was getting double teamed. Who who else was he going to kick the ball out to that was going to be that knockdown shooter? Nobody. The answer is nobody. In a league of of power duos, power trios, Julius Randle is playing solo. So, In that sense, I feel that the playoffs were a bit of a disappointment for the Knicks because they were the four seed. They got upset by the five seed on a really, on paper, even matchup. And so regular season, good uh, playoffs. Even though they were playing with house money once they got there, I still say no good on that. So let's go to Lenny in Fort Lauderdale. You're up on the fan.
4: Yeah, the the Knicks playoffs were the regular season. That's how I'm taking it. They played great during the year, yeah. but Randall was definitely exposed. Um, in regards to Osaka and all the athletes not talking to the uh, media, I just think that it's just an arrogance of their success once they get really big. When Osaka doesn't mind talking to the media when she wants to talk BLM or take pictures with her uh, rapper boyfriend, then it's fine when she gets a little pressed, you know? So that 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 disturbs me a little bit.
0: Yeah, Lenny, I don't know about that. I just think, I mean, if there's a really underlying condition really going on with her, then I hope she gets help for it. However, forget about that. Facts are facts. It is in her league. Her league is saying that she has to do these interviews. And that's it. That's the fact. And there are leagues that do require it. The NFL requires it. The NBA requires it. I really looked today. I really could not find if NHL or MLB actually it's a requirement. You know, it's a hard fast requirement. But it is in in the other two leagues. Things and and the uh, where is it? The French, what was it called? The Women's Tennis Association says the athletes have a responsibility to speak to the media. That's it. Those are my words. That's it. So sure, if she's got issues, that's fine. Work through them, but. It's in your contract. It's in part of your league. In order for you to make the money, you have to talk to the media. And there's ways around it. We talked about before. Go out with the script. Have someone anticipate the questions they're going to be asked. Give her like a little index card to work off of. I've seen Aaron Boone work off of index cards and that's, who cares? Doesn't matter. He's got a, I have papers here. You hear him? I don't just talk off the cuff all the time. I have stuff. So, you know, I just think there's a better way to do it other than a total complete blackout because it's a symbiotic relationship between the athlete and the organization and the media. That's it. And tennis needs her and she needs tennis. So why don't we all just get to the table and just figure it out. Let's go to Sam in Hackensack, New Jersey. Sam, you're up on the fan.
4: Hi, Danielle. Um, pleasure. I just uh, comment about Osaka. Thanks to the great Phil Mushnick. We now know she talked to the Japanese media. I think one thing getting lost here yes. is the absurdly low fine. She made $32 million between winnings and endorsements last year. $15,000. 15, That's an annoyance on her, you know, on her um, extended tax returns. Yeah. I mean, $15,000 is a joke. Um, and if she was really like as you know adamant as this, she would have said, "Well, I'll pay a hundred fifty thousand and pick a charity or something." Well, I mean, she did we say. This...
0: She did say that. She did say that. She hopes that the money does go to charity. She did say that.
4: Fifteen thousand dollars. Well, though, you know, yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's that's one of the biggest problems. I mean, we have baseball players and football players getting fined fifty and a hundred thousand yeah. dollars for doing you know something on the field. or whatever. So that that's my one take on that. Yeah. And um, wait,
0: Sam, just, I, I just so everybody's clear, Sam, yeah, just the, the, the Mushnick thing you brought up. I, the New York Post had an article that said that she, who is Japanese, allowed herself to be interviewed by a Japanese broadcaster that pays her for her time, access, yeah. and words. And that's a whole nother conversation.
4: Like George Young said, they say it's not about the money, it's all about the money. Mm.
0: And that's a shame.
4: Oh, did you pick up the Tony Luzeri book?
0: Oh, no, not yet. I, I it's... it's wonderful. I finished it.
4: Yeah. And he was another guy who didn't like to talk to the press, but he was an epileptic. And, you know, he those were the days that nobody gave me anything. I mean, hey, look, Derek Jeter's entire career, he gave nothing, but he <laughs> yeah. talked. Yeah, right. He learned how to say nothing right. for 20 minutes, right. you know. Uh, be well.
0: Oh, thanks. You too, Sam. Thanks for the call. And uh, we've got, oh, just a few minutes here. Dr. Mike in Mount Vernon. You're up on the fan. All right, you're out, Mike. We're, we're short on time here. John in Freehold, you might be the Mariano Rivera of the night here. John, what's up?
8: Hey, good morning, Danielle. How are you? Danielle, you know, the way the Knicks season ended was disappointing, but I think there were a lot of bright spots throughout the year with the player development and mm-hmm. the uh, strong draft they had mm-hmm. and the bright future they seemed to be on track for. But I got to tell you, they got to be smart and selective in continuing to uh, rebuild this basketball team. And I tell you, I would not be opposed to trading Julius Randle for the right deal. I I, I, would, I, I think everybody should be ma- made available. Everybody should be on the table, including Julius Randle, if the right deal was to come along. And uh, I told you before we had this conversation, the first move I'm looking to make is I'm trying to recruit uh, Kawhi Leonard. Because Kawhi Leonard has the op- opportunity to opt out of that contract, and that would be the... Best situation for the Knicks where you get a superstar player in, where you don't have to forfeit any draft picks or any young players that you currently have on your roster, and you could add on from there. Uh, They most definitely need a franchise point guard. I'm not sold on Lonzo Ball. Uh, I know none of the guards from Miami's been mentioned recently as a possible free agent target. Those guys aren't difference makers. They're not franchise point guards. The Knicks need a guard that can consistently – Break people down off the dribble. Sure, I'm with you. Up success, yeah. Especially Obi Toppin, mm-hmm. that guy that's super athletic, that's multi dimensional as far as his offensive game and skill set. And I, I'm looking to get that guy in the draft. I know they got two first round picks, they have two second round picks. They've got some uh, salary cap flexibility. $50 million in that,
0: salary cap. Yep. Yes,
8: yeah, they, they signed that free agent. Uh, point guard from uh, Argentina, mm-hmm. that might be a trade ship they can use in a bigger deal. Damian Lillard, to me, is too rich for my blood. I think he's going to cost him too much. I'm only looking at Damian Lillard if I could first sign Kawhi Leonard as a free agent without having to forfeit anything, right. where I have more flexibility with trade chips and salary cap uh, space to make a move like that. I don't want to bring Damian Lillard in where I'm giving everybody up and then I've got nothing left to... Uh, continue to build a team around them, you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, John, I got you. But the one thing I would say about Kawhi Leonard is he likes to take a lot of days off, a lot of load management going on with him. And with Tom Thibodeau, you obviously you know that there is no load management going on with Tom Thibodeau based on the number of minutes that his guys play. And of course, Kawhi Leonard is would be one of his guys based on the amount of money in contract and everything that he's going to be the superstar of the team. You know, so I don't know. That might be a mesh point between the two of them. Okay, we actually have a, a real – Mariano Rivera, closer, closing caller of the night. Sparky and Dobbs Ferry, you're up on the Thanks fan.
4: Thanks again, Coach. <laughs> um, as far as the Knicks, I'm partially disappointed, but mostly I'm satisfied. Yes. Because most important is they regain credibility as a franchise. Right. Okay. And the fact that all you hear about the Knicks is basketball, whereas in the past, the only thing you'd hear is about what was Dolan going to do next to embarrass the franchise.
0: Yeah, to Oakley this and all that. Yeah, and I think if you were a player that is looking for a change of scenery, looking at, and I was at the Garden for Game 5, it was electric. Wouldn't you want to put on for your city and be a part of that and be the reason why these people are cheering? I know I would. I think it's a
4: great atmosphere. Now, what I couldn't get through last week, I was on um The... Thing with the Tigers what annoys me most how can you not be motivated to play against the Tigers when Hinch is the manager
0: right and, and what about Cora in this Red Sox uh, series come on I don't get it I, I know.
4: I'm wondering where, I'm wondering where their heart is okay and the thing when you mentioned about the pitches loading up the ball um, the idea that players can talk about it is wrong because you're going to open up the pandora's box you might have coincidences before a big series where a player might say something about the opposing team's top pitcher who happens to be pitching against them right
0: well sparky all great points that you bring up every week and you're always the last call of the week which is always cool you're always the mariano so sparky all of you guys could not have done this without you this week. Thank you. I love coming here, talking with you all. If you miss any portion of the show, hit the Odyssey Rewind feature. Um, that's at 2 a.m. My show started, and then we had a live call-in by Wayne Randazzo after the West Coast win versus the San Diego Padres. That was at 2.35 a.m. Great job to Emmanuel behind the glass tonight and to Mike McCann on the updates. Bob Salter's coming your way next. and In the meantime, you guys can hit my social media channels at CoachMCCARTAN on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Let's keep that conversation going. I will see you guys this time next week. Hopefully the Nets and the Islanders are still playing.
2: Sports
5: Radio 101.9 The Yanks and Red Sox wrap up their weekend series tonight in the Bronx
2: with our coverage underway at 635 following Sweeney Murdy's extended pregame show and Nets fan.